This is Robin Lively, star of such sleepover movie classics as Karate Kid 3 and Teen Witch, and you're listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers with the two hunkiest film nerds in podcasting, Blake and Dion. Not scared, are you? Someone has taken their love of fear one step too far. Uh, we know you're not the killer. Solving this mystery. Everybody's a suspect! Is going to be murder. Who are you? The question is, where am I? We all go a little mad sometimes. Scream, the new thriller from West Craven, rated R. Hey, dude. <laughs> What's up, dude? Uh, you remember that show on Nickelodeon? Hey, dude, yeah. I mean, I never watched it, but I knew of it. A little wild, a little strange when you live your life down on the range. <laughs> that the the girl who is Ben Stiller's wife, yeah, or ex-wife maybe now. I don't know. She was on Hey Dude. I think he's still married to her, but I don't know. Yeah, beautiful. She's in this tonight's movie. Yeah, exactly. So when I was watching that, so when I turned to you, I said, "Is that the girl from Hey Dude? You like Ben Stiller's wife?" Yes. <laughs> I only know her from Marsha. Yeah, as Marcia yeah Brady. from the from the re- not the reboot, the the remake or the TV movies. Yeah, yeah. Or the. The live action movie, yes, not the TV movies. <laughs> they only did TV movies for um, uh, the they Brady did, Bunch. They did do some TV. Movies. I know they did. They did. They <laughs> With did the a, original. Yeah, cast the like Christmas or they got married again or there was uh, there was a Christmas one for sure. Yeah, I remember that one. I think they might have had a different Cindy for that one, but I think everybody else was the same. I think there was a couple. I think they were trying to. Well, I think there was bring a, it back. There was a time where they were bringing everything back because they also did. Remember the Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar oh, Man yeah. got married. Yeah, that was that like was a Sunday t- Night Movie. Yeah, that was that was bringing it back in like. Um, there was also a, an I Dream of Genie. Yep. One uh, that didn't have a Larry Hagman in it. Or, it had the guy from Mash. Or what's his face? Uh, Dick Dick York's not Dick York. Sergeant York, <laughs> not Sergeant York. What's his name? <laughs> Dick Sergeant. Well, that's uh. That's bewitched, right? Yeah, but remember they they switched them out. Yeah, no yeah. one will know. They, that tr- we, they tried to do <laughs> that. Know, the, they tried to do that in the in the late eighties with uh, you know, I dream of genie. They suddenly you know no one realizes that uh like what the fuck Elizabeth Montgomery's like who are you again? <laughs> yeah, but a, they did that during the actual show. Yeah, oh yeah, but that was it. It's like it's like you know one season goes. What happened to the poor guy? He's like um, uh, York. I think it's Sergeant York. No. Dick Sargent, and then there's an, the, the other. Then Dick York. Dick right? York, right? Aren't maybe. they both named Dick, I yeah. think? Yeah, and even what's his face on there was, uh, uh, I like a tall glass of you. What's his name? Uh, you know, oh, Charlotte. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> but he was all like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly have the guy from the Love Shack. Love uh, B-52s. <laughs> Love Shack, baby. Uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Paul Lynn. Paul Lynn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was like the ambiguous confirmed bachelor. Uncle on, I think on. Was it Bewitched? I get the two of them. It was Bewitched, yeah. And then um, he was the astronaut on uh, on uh, I Dream of Genie. Larry Hagman was. Yeah. Paul Lynn wasn't in <laughs> no, that No, show, no, no. But... Paul Lynn was not. No, Larry Hagman was the, uh, on the, you know. Uh, she was a little bitchy, too. Um, 
when you go back and watch those episodes, you know, uh, Barbara Eden. Yeah, I mean, as the gene deciphering, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. What are you talking <laughs> about? Dion's broken language. See, because she, you know, she's always like switching things and turning things around, and well, you know, yeah, she's, she's trying to be helpful, but then it's she's always mischievous. Yeah, or Elizabeth Montgomery's a little more just. She's she she she's grown up in a, in the world where, uh, you know, Elizabeth Montgomery's thrown into this world. Because of the the you know being in the lamp for how many years? No, Barbara Eden is thrown into the Barbara world. Eden is yeah. What I said? Well, she, yeah, she was found on the beach. Yeah, so she's still trying to get like up to par of the. What I never century. really understood about Bewitched though is that my recollection is that Darren like doesn't want her to use her powers, and she's I he's think like putting down. You will not use your and powers, and she's and she's also trying to make an effort not to. I think. Yeah, yeah. But then the Agnes Moore, the uncle, the the her mother is really pushing her, you know. That's in that's a West Westport, right? And that's in Connecticut, I think. That they uh, well, he's in advertising, so maybe because yeah, yeah, New York and all drives that. down to New York, takes the train down. Yeah, it takes the train down. Next stop, will it be? Um, anyway, we went on a diversionary track. But before I mean, you it's it's not too far off base. You yeah, know? for for tonight's spectacular <laughs> episode, we're still in 1996. We planted firmly in 1996. We ran out of gas, and we were looking for plutonium, and you know, and you can't just go to a local bodega. On your corner store for plutonium. So we're stuck in 1996 this week again. We did Scream last week, uh, which came out after this movie, right? Yeah. And then we said, you know what? Let's do a uh, double feature, Skeet Ulrich and Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. And, uh, you know, it's so like, hey, the craft, let's do that. <laughs> we're talking about 90 soundtracks. Yeah, and we're it's like a perfect. It's actually like a perfect double feature. Yeah, yeah. Maybe could, reverse order. Or you could we, see this like playing as a double feature somewhere. Like yeah, a, at a drive-in or something, or like a like a up all night kind of a like a grindhouse, or even just a TV, like, like a midnight showing at an art theater. Yeah, you know when they try to bring in some people on Friday and Saturday night for something interesting. Yeah, they serve liquor or they serve food or whatever. So, yeah, we're here this week. We're going to be doing The Craft from 1996, uh, which I have never seen up until this. I'd seen bits and pieces of it. I also had never seen it. This and might th- – is this – this is one of the first – one of the only movies we've done, I think, on the show where neither one of us had ever seen it. It, it might not be the only one. But it's definitely but one, we have of. To th- it's yeah, one, one of. It's one of know, And it, I stayed away from this movie for so many years because of the stigma that it was a girl's movie. You know, so I was always like, oh, I don't want to watch it. I mean, I knew the soundtrack. Soundtrack was great and that kind of a thing because it was all around us. And it's a seems like the whole album is like covers, uh, cover songs. Of At least other, a lot of them. Yeah. And so I knew the soundtrack and I'd seen bits and pieces. And then so this was the finally the, the go of giving it a, a whirl, dusting off that old, uh, you know, uh, blockbuster video. <laughs> And seeing it, oh look, look what I got here! I got this at a dollar sale. It's actually, it's the kind of the perfect sleepover movie because it's definitely because like most of the time when you rented movies as a kid, me, well, in general, <laughs> us, all of us, I think, you know, especially if you, you know you were renting stuff you hadn't seen before. Yeah, for the most part, you know, sometimes you would, you know, you know, obviously sometimes you would rent other things, but especially if it was, like, new release. Yeah, yeah. So this is totally, like, 1990, t- taking new us release. back to 1996. Yeah. Dion and I walking on to Tommy K's or Captain Video, yeah. or depending on whose house we're sleeping. Yeah, what regional <laughs> what region of, of, the, of the country we're in, we're walking around. And Pulling like, this baby off the shelf. Looking at the new release wall, going walking around the wall. Did Captain Video have a new release wall? Like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, like oh, sorry. 
Yeah, what's wrong with you? Go on with you. Go, <laughs> go stand in the corner. I will do this show by <laughs> yeah, myself. And I will turn this show around and bring it home. Uh, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, I'm Dion Baya. And I am Jay Blake. And we're here on a late, late evening. We started it. We, we were thinking that we were going to get a lot of, uh, you know, get a... Uh, an early start to this, so we got we got here all early, but then we just we we just ended up having so we much fun. Out the GI Joes, yeah, you know, we were playing with GI Joes Built and then fort, and then I well, we were up in the attic and I found my Tectodrome. <laughs> so we got the Tectodrome. We were trying to put that. And thing then together. we were trying to find the like little red the uh, plane, the plane that in the middle, in the middle. And then then when, then when we finally did it, we couldn't get the thing to close. Yeah, and then and then we were losing one piece, so we couldn't get the whole Cobra symbol. <laughs> we were like, what the, what are we losing? Here. Then my dad comes in like, what are you doing? Why is this? What do you what is how, yeah. old, how old are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> what do you, when is this gonna end? <laughs> how old are you guys? What are you what are you doing? And then he just walked away all like dad, dad, dad. Blake, you should go home. <laughs> and then we realized we hadn't even got the movie started yet. I'm like, oh shit. Shazam. It's late. It's late. <laughs> gotta get this baby going. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta go back in the morning. No, we gotta we gotta rewind it. <laughs> Make sure we rewind it. Don't leave it because my mom got charged a dollar last time. <laughs> she was pissed. And uh, I've seen in the news recently there's been a, um, there's one last blockbuster left in Washington State. And um, one woman owns it and she runs it. And there's been a lot of – I forgot why, but there's been a lot of news. People have been going and doing stories there. And then I was saying that it would be a perfect reality show, her – one woman having the last blockbuster trying to keep that thing afloat. Road trip. You know, road trip. We're going to uh, maybe Seattle or someplace uh, that way. I've often said that we at, have a- At least of the people that communicate with us on social media, that like- Yeah, the, that North, region. Northwest. Yeah. We seem, we seem to have a certain block of listeners. In there. Yeah, Oregon, and We Oregon. can go and do a show, a live inside show the, inside the block. I have a sleepover inside, inside the, the blockbuster, blockbuster. <laughs> Seattle. Why don't um, anybody listen? You know, we, see, this is the thing with us. We're gonna we're gonna open up the pages a little bit. We would love to do a live event, and we don't know. We don't think anybody would come. <laughs> but then, if we did get anybody to go, it seems like our listeners are kind of spread out. Yeah. You know, there's like we got people in New Zealand. We got one guy in New Zealand. We've got two guys in New York. We've got one guy in Connecticut. We've got people in California. We got one person in Seattle. So we got all we six got, people listening. No, we got like four or five in either you know either Washington or it, it, Oregon or, area. It reminds me of the old Adam Costello joke. It's like, how much money do you have? I got about ten dollars. Uh, how much you really? Well, if you Roll it out. I got about six dollars. Well, what, what, what do you mean six dollars? Well, if you put it all, what do you have on you right now? Forty-two cents. Like you know, <laughs> you know it's like, what you, and that's kind of like you know. So you know, Blake and I were saying, hey, let's let's you know go down to Philly and do something, or let's go to New York or you know the city and do something. But then it sounds like a great idea until we actually try to get people to go to come, and then you know. Not even our wives or girlfriends show up, and we're like, "Oh, come on! You you couldn't even come." <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, even I mean, God bless the people that came out to see us in Monster Mania. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple people uh, show up. Then that was I don't know, like five, six max. Yeah, and that know, was not going to fill up the audience. No, that's not going to fill. That's like uh, you know, it's, it's that's not even good for like a uh, like open mic night. You know, so uh, we yeah, we've been thinking about doing something fun like, and then that's also a weird format. What do you do? Do we do a movie we've already covered on the show because, and do we keep it to our format, or do we do a new movie, or do we have crowd interaction? It's 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 so much. I I end up getting anxiety attacks thinking yeah, about Dion it. Yeah, can't handle it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just it's just too much. 
I'm like, yeah, we'll just show up. We'll do what we do. I'm like, no, no. We'll open it up to the audience. No, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And Blake's like, uh, you know, use your inhaler. <laughs> That's me using my inhaler. <laughs> and then I got to lean against the wall and, like, count to ten. So, you know, why are we talking about this? Because I don't know. Because oh. we were going to do a live show from the from the last remaining blockbuster. Oh, because we were talking about renting this. So, yeah, we got a dollar late fee. My mom had to drive this all the way back to the blockbuster. <laughs> she was pissed. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we were going to pick Mike Vanderbilt, Mike Vanderbilt up on the way back in Chicago, but we didn't do that. We didn't take the exit. We kept going. So we're back tonight. We started this bad boy late, and we're doing The Craft from 1996. Uh, you also said this was your your inaugural. We were both craft virgins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, totally. And uh, but uh, I mean, obviously, I knew of it. Oh, yeah, of course. I was yeah. familiar with it. it was, also, you know, it was one of the early CGI heavy movies for heavy in that it was a new form and had a you know a, a certain amount of CGI. Obviously, not as heavy as Jurassic Park, but <laughs> came out. Uh, I just remember you, you, yeah. you see you, you'd see maybe a special effects show Th- them breaking through the, in the dream sequence, them breaking yeah, through the, the door, the, and them the, the snake, snake fingers yeah. and stuff like that. And I heard somewhere that this could have been one of the first couple DVD movies released on DVD. I don't know if that's true. Like the, one of the this may be one of the first f- of the first four movies put on DVD. This could be one of them. I don't know if that's true, but I saw that. I thought in a special feature. Yeah. Um, but I mean. Growing up, I certainly had a lot of girlfriends that were girls and friends, but they weren't my girlfriends that I'd hang out with. And this was always in rotation at their place. You'd always see that box on top of, you know, if you were in a girl's room, they'd have, a, you know, like a white TV or something small, and then they'd have a bunch of tapes. And the craft was always one of the, 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 the videos there with the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And we discussed last week on Scream um, that, like, th- this era was big on soundtracks. And, you know, the Crow, uh, the Scream, this era, uh, the Craft was, was was a big big thing for – big push for soundtracks, you know. Well, it's a way to make some more money yeah, yeah, off yeah, the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was always in my purview, this film. But I never – you know, and I got to say I got a huge crush on uh, Faruka's uh, – Faruka Bulk. Okay. Faruka Salt. Faruka Salt. Daddy, um, <laughs> uh, Feruza Bulk in this movie. I, I love her in Return to Oz. Her first, her first role <laughs> as a Dorothy, and then seeing her in this movie, it's like you know. Uh, after seeing Things to Do in Denver when you're dead, she plays a prostitute in that movie. Yeah, uh, she does a lot of the conventions now. Does I've, she? I've seen her around in, in the convention circuit. How's she looking for? I mean, she can't be. She must be near, kind she, of near our age, right? She looks like her, just yeah. older. Yeah. Nice. That's nice. She doesn't look completely different. Some people, they look completely different. You're like, what the hell? You, no, you can definitely tell it's her. Wow. I'd be a little intimidated. Like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I got a crush on you. Uh, yeah, she's in this. Nev Campbell at the time was doing Party of Five. Uh, I never watched Party of Five, Man, but that was a phenomenon as well when that was on TV. Yeah, that was a big, big show, deal. You I know. think. I, I wasn't either, but that show gave us Nev Campbell. It gave us Jennifer Love Hewitt. Gave uh, us Lacey Chabert. Was she the chick from Lost in Space? The little girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who, who's now in a bunch of Hallmark movies and has been, all know I'm a big demo. aficionado <laughs> yeah. of Hallmark <laughs> movies. Hallmark movies. Uh, my wife even tried to use it as a play. Blake watches them. Why don't you try watching them with me? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess. Look, they're 
they're awesome. <laughs> they're not. No, we'll go as far as they're awesome, but it is. It's like eating cotton candy. Yeah, it's like it's all in your teeth. Goes down easy. You know what I mean? Like it melts. You put it on your tongue and it just melts. (laughs) (laughs) And you get that sugar high. I always say it's the least amount of conflict that you can put in a story and have it still be a story. (laughs) And then everything resolves itself in the end. It's all happy. It's all feel good. Kiss. Roll credit. <laughs> there you go. There's nobody getting murdered or killed or bleeding <laughs> out. There's, a, there's also Hallmark Mystery where I'm sure more like that stuff happens. That's awesome. But, uh, I, yeah. haven't, I haven't graduated to that yeah. yet. I was on a big murder she wrote kick I'm getting on now because I need a new story because I finished my Kojak. Uh, and what did you finish? Cagney and Lacey too? I finished Cagney and Lacey. You run out of these. So I started uh, Murder She Wrote watching the pilot episode and she gets mugged uh, in the pilot. And you know who's mugging her? Andy Garcia. <sighs> Circa 1984. So it's like, you know, two years before uh, The Untouchables. I've started 90210. Oh, I know. I saw that. Yeah. So how's that going for you? (laughs) It's going all right. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I'm wishing that it had the original music. (laughs) You could say, I'm wishing it had some breasts in it. No, no. I'm fine without the breasts. Yeah, I know. Why well, it doesn't have its original music? You know, just like just like Twenty One Jump Street and so many other shows, oh. they don't have. They, I'm sure they use pop music. It sounds like sounds like they're pulling from the same sound library as Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. Uh, but they DVDs. have the theme though. Still. Well, I'm so early on that it doesn't have that, but I think it is still the theme. I think it's just an earlier version because I'm still in season one. Yeah. <laughs> Getting through it. And you're gonna start a podcast with Mike Vanderbilt. <laughs> 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 Uh, 902 Blake and Michael. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the next one, yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching Murder, She Wrote, and <laughs> you're watching um, Beverly Hills 902. Uh, no, that's how exciting our lives are. Uh, so we're doing the craft tonight. What did you think of it? Uh, Having this beer? Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> the craft. This being popping your craft cherry. Uh, I liked it. I, uh, I'm surprised. You know, I liked I liked the story. I liked everything about it. It didn't seem too um, dated to me, obviously, aside from the clothes and maybe some of the special effects. But the story was you know, pretty good. I liked, like last week we were talking about Scream, how uh, some of the conventions it played on seemed a little tired for me watching it now. We're here. That didn't happen. I kind of felt like I was into it. Yeah. I liked uh, where the story went. It didn't seem almost like a glorification of anything. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, I like that comeuppance where, you know, w- with great power comes great responsibility. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Well, so I liked is, all that. It I, you is know, that kind of story. Yeah. Sure. So I dug all that. And I didn't know you know, where it was going. So this was all because I get, and this is also a thing as I'm getting older, is like, I try not for the most part watch trailers or stuff if I'm in if if there's movies that are already out on like solo i've only seen the trailer once and i uh, up to this recording i haven't seen it yet but i don't want to get ruined so uh i hadn't seen a lot from this i'd seen scenes but i didn't know where they fit into the movie so it was all still kind of new for me when they were like starting to turn at each other and i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah you know i was like all this was and then you know uh farouk i'm gonna uh Feruza, 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 like people trying to pronounce my name. Feruzol, uh, yeah, Feruzol. Uh, like her, her whole arc. I was like, oh no, what she, what's happening here? You know, I suddenly turned to Edwin. <laughs> <laughs> Blake, we have to turn it off. Edwin is a Murgatroyd. Um, how about yourself? I loved it. I was into it. I mean, it's kind of the perfect. Blake movie. Blake movie, yeah. <laughs> so what we try to do is we, we try to figure stuff out and what to do. And, you know, when, when we put out, when we 
put our deck of cards down and try to compare notes on what we're looking at for every year. We try to do uh, movies that are aimed towards women or the, the female demographic who listen to the show. And I'm sure that the female demographic is not as big as the male demographic, but we know we do have female listeners. So we try to throw them a bone every year. And yeah. a lot of times, traditionally, what happens is the movies we do end up not doing as well as the other ones. So if we do like a clue or we do uh, – what else have we done in the past? Uh, like Hocus Pocus. Sometimes they don't rate as well. So we're like, well, you know, is the, is there is our logic sound in trying to do one for the ladies or, or to appeal to certain people? So going into this tonight, we had that. We were kind of worried like, you know – we both haven't seen it. Are we going to like yeah, it? What are we yeah. going to talk about? And then I was saying, like, well, Blake, it just it definitely sounds right up your alley. <laughs> you know, if I was going to back my truck down your alley. <laughs> my worry is always, you know, I know that this is kind of a <clears throat> rite of passage, passage, like watershed movie for a certain generation of women, maybe beyond. I don't, I don't know about yeah. younger uh, women and girls today, but. My 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 worry was always yeah they they might love this movie but do they want to hear like two forty year old dudes yeah, who've never seen <laughs> soon, who've never seen it before talk about it <laughs> for for maybe three hours or however however long our podcasts can be but and then since we've never seen it you know there's always like you said there's always this danger of like maybe we're not going to like it yeah. you know that's happens seems to happen more with me than it does you but that's when you hear me talking the entire that's when <laughs> that's when I, you hear just my nose yeah. whistling as the end and you go yes uh-huh <laughs> yes uh-huh. have a drink of water Dion. yes uh-huh yeah, you're talking way too much Dion. let's wrap this up <laughs> not always not always i like movies no, of that, course. that are you know your picks but you know they're your picks so you you kind of take the ball and run with it yeah um, but this tonight, yeah, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And that, maybe, that's wrong. I, 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 going into a movie like this with all the baggage we're bringing to it because it was our generation of when it came out. Yeah. I mean, we were the age. It was aimed towards. Yeah. And I, so I felt like, oh, it's going to be I mean, we were like there, like how old they're supposed to be. In the, yeah. It's it, how we were, old we were. And we were in high out. school at the time. So this is probably why so many girls or women of our age group fell in love with this movie because it was the, you know, it was a teen melodrama that was like a horror yeah, movie yeah. kind of with witches and stuff. So I was worried, oh, it's going to be dated. It's going to be so 90s. Uh, you it know, is pretty fucking 90s, though. It, that is true. I would argue that it's, in my opinion, yeah. way more 90s than Scream is. Uh, in what, you mean like in like. Just the way it feels. It just feels so nice. It even feels so of 1996. And, past, and I don't, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things I love about and it. And that's past <laughs> style and, and like wardrobe. Like Yeah, just. Uh, certainly the music has the sound the, of the era. Certainly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Definitely the soundtrack. The I mean, they're in uniforms for a lot of the time, but, you know, certainly the. The wardrobe past the uniforms, but also just like the film stock, yeah, the pacing of it, the way it's shot, yeah, everything. It just it feels like you know our junior year of high school yeah. or <laughs> or senior year, depending on what. I don't know what month it came out, but it totally feels nineties to me, which uh, is is fine with me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the things. You know, this happens sometimes where there's a movie that. You know, we have we've done or we hadn't seen um, something like Captain America, the old the nineteen ninety movie, or the never released Roger Corman Fantastic Four, where they're movies that we didn't grow up with, we didn't see as kids, but they also 
are so of that era, it's hard not to have nostalgia for them in a weird way because yeah. you have nostalgia for that ki- kind of movie, that type of movie during that time and how old we were. And it feels so much like 1990 or 1994 or whatever year yeah. they came out that it's like, oh, you, like, you do kind of feel like a kid when you watch it. Yeah. <laughs> or you remember hearing about it. Or in my case, I, I don't remember the Captain America podcast all that much, but remembering that I had seen some of it on TV and and there are listeners that we had that had seen posters for the Captain America movie in the movie theater. Yeah, or even like a teaser trailer. Yeah, or and stuff like that. Yeah. So this definitely kind of felt that way to me. I yeah. mean, the, by this time in high school, I mean, for the most part, I didn't... So this, again, like last week's episode, since this came out in 96, 96 for us, the first half of that year was our our junior year. Yeah. And then the summer was going into our senior year. And then the fall of 96 into Christmas was our senior year. And then we graduated in the spring of 97. So. Yeah. But this was also, this was a time when, uh, for me, at that age, when, you know, I, I had a stable of friends and we... This is, these are the guys that I made all those movies on video with. And I look back at high school itself and I don't remember it at all. Yeah. I remember hanging out with my friends and making movies. Like I don't remember school. Like the day-to-day <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I don't remember people's names. I don't remember. You know, I played hockey in the winter and then I made movies with my friends in the spring through the fall. Yeah. But, uh, so I don't know. It just felt uh, – it felt of that era. Yeah, it felt of that era, and it felt like it almost felt like something, you know, that I had seen. Like it made me feel like I did at that time. Yeah. You know, like kind of nostalgic for. Yeah, yeah. like this. Like this totally would have been a movie. Had I think had it not been branded so much a quote unquote girl movie. Yeah, that maybe my friends and I would have rented it. But uh, that was probably my biggest offset off putting to it because it was such labeled a girls movie. And I didn't really seek out those. And I don't know why then it, if it didn't feel as dated to me as it did. Um, you no, know, I I don't know. Maybe because the story kind of lifted it to. A, I got well, the story in is it. certainly kind of universal. Yeah, I mean, the story isn't dated. Yeah, you know, you could say that, and they're you know, and they're trying. They've been trying to remake it for three years or so, and now they've announced again just a month ago or so that they're going to remake it with uh, reboot or remake. Or I mean, I think a remake. Now. I'm not positive. But yeah, a remake. Blumhouse is going to be one of the producers of it. Uh, but that was just that's kind of recent news. I think in March is when they announced that. So, and uh, people are kind of are they off put about that. I heard because in, in 2016 when they re- re- announced it might be a sequel or a reboot, like a lot of the hardcore fans were like completely against it. I don't know. know. I yeah. don't know what the reaction is to it. I mean, this seems like it could be like a, a Netflix series, but I mean, I guess that's what Charmed ended up being. But like this could, I could see this being like a like how they did Scream the series. This could be a kind of a. Yeah, this would make. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it does kind of fall, but without it, into but, the you know, into the Charmed era, yeah. which they've <laughs> remade already. Oh, did they? There's a new Charmed on now. Oh wow, with new girls. Yeah, well, that's funny. So I wonder if there's any connection, like the, the MacGyver reboot. I wonder if they have connections with the older shows. I have no idea. I haven't yeah. seen it. I only watched the first few episodes of the original Charmed. I remember I was. With, I remember you watching it with you because Alyssa Milano. Because <laughs> <laughs> of my undying love for Alyssa Milano. Yeah. 
And Sharon Doherty. <laughs> Shannon Doherty. Sh- Shannon. But I wasn't, you know, I knew her from Mallrats, but, and I knew she was in 90210, but yeah. I never watched 90210 until now, so. I watched one episode of 90210 in sixth grade. It was on it, and I forgot why I watched it, but it was it was the episode where she thought she might have had breast cancer. So it was a whole episode where Don't spoil it. it. I know. I don't, <laughs> oh, Jesus. She doesn't have it. <laughs> Uh, and then with, sadly with the passing of Luke Perry, that's kind of really sad now. I mean, that was because they just released – this is all like relevant too. They had just announced they were going to do a reunion and then like the next day he passed away, which is still um, you know incredible because he was what, 50 or something? Or he was, he yeah, was, I mean, you know, he couldn't have been and much older than and that. And it's kind of still shaky on what happened. Was it – you know, was he – because he was a heavy smoker, or was it a stroke, or the, the details, or was it maybe just a, her, a hereditary? You know, you know, who knows what you know. So we actually came very close to doing a Luke Perry movie tonight. Yeah, we did. We were talking if about he, maybe doing Buffy the Vampire, Vampire, Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah, that's my Elmer Fudd album, <laughs> the Vampire Slayer. We were going to do that because we were talking about uh, Paul Rubens, and we were like, we got to do another Paul Rubens movie. Stat. <laughs> Um, and that's another movie I've never seen all the way through. See, women are just turning this tape off. <laughs> you know, well, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I do remember that. I do yeah. remember seeing that. That was off-putting to me because it was then the, the show was such a colossal hit for years, and that became like a hallmark, a staple. Yeah, but the know? movie was, to my recollection, I mean, it's weird because the amount of time that it actually was between the movie and the television show by like 40-year-old people's standards. Yeah. It was like a blink of the eye. Yeah. But as a teenager- It was years. It seemed like it was a, th- a lifetime between yeah. the two. I, yeah. I don't know the dates. It's probably only like six years. But when you- <laughs> when you're Oh, teenager, you think it was that long? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It was a couple years? I think it was a, I think it was a couple years, yeah. Yeah, because I remember it coming out and that was like, oh, a, maybe like a sleeper hit. Maybe I'm completely off. Who knows? Uh, well, it's been a late night. It's a late night. I yeah. apologize. I think you, you, you blew all your steam trying to get that-, that Missile silo working. <laughs> and, 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 and I shouldn't have had you. Yeah. yeah, two two cups. I of, almost got it. Yeah, two two uh, pots of coffee. Put some more coffee on. Uh, so, this this is interesting coming to this tonight. And aside from the the, the tenuous connections of last week, that we're, we've got Skeet again, and we've got uh, Nev sleeping over with us. Uh, how are you, Nev? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that we're here doing a movie like this because this is also I feel like it does a, a, a level of respect to the to the to the source material of like Wicca and all that. Like it doesn't. It's yeah, not I really mean, pan, not pandering. being someone who's <clears throat> that familiar with <laughs> the, the, the Wiccan, the dark arts, <laughs> the, the paganism. Uh, it certainly seems respectful. Yeah. And, and I think that was definitely something, you know, it, not that I think. It, it is by all accounts something that they took into consideration and they wanted it to be – they wanted it not to feel like any kind of previous witch story or witch movie and they wanted it to be something that Wiccans would recognize their – I don't know if it's a, considered a religion or – a practice. I'm not positive, yeah. but they would recognize it within this, and they even had uh, a, a, a Wiccan consultant to advising the the, the, the different spells to make sure that it. things were respectful and that uh, or or true to a certain extent, and wrote some of the incantations. And of course, uh, 
your girlfriend, Frusa, was a Wiccan. Yes, yeah, she, she was an actual <laughs> Wiccan. <laughs> she was, a, so, so she was she, a practicing Wiccan at the time. Yeah, so she had a, a kind of an idea of, of how things, certain things are and, and uh, how certain things could be portrayed. I don't know if she had a hand in getting the technical advisor, the woman, um, Pat something, who they got to be the... Say Jack. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. <laughs> and then Vanna's up there for no reason. Uh, but they had, you know, the, the um, uh, Pat Devin, a female who was the onset advisor, who, like you said, oversaw everything. And, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it's such a small – I can't think of offhand how many movies, you know, that, that really have – like you have like The Wicker Man, but that's kind of more uh, done in a completely different way of pagans yeah, and stuff yeah. and, and Wiccan, and then it has such a shock ending. And then, uh, I mean, would you consider like Deadly Blessings, Wes Craven, kind of be kind of? I mean, I guess. I mean, it's not so much. It's a hard line between devil worship, which this film really isn't, and they try to make that distinction versus you know at least you know the perception of what Wicked is, which isn't devil worship, but I think the perception of what like the layman yeah. thinks of what what Wicca or whatever its its proper yeah. title is. I think is. This idea of like Satan worship, but uh, it is in fact not that. And even the, you know, even some of that is not what one would think it is. I know that um, there was an experimental filmmaker that we I think we talked about in cruising, Kenneth Anger. Oh, Ken Anger, who was uh, a Satan worshiper. But th- the I, the the religious aspect of it for him, whatever his satanic religion was that Lucifer was like the god of light kind of it wasn't uh, it wasn't making it wasn't as yeah it wasn't so much I mean you know I don't know I'm no expert on it but I do know that when researching him for a paper (laughs) (laughs) when we were in college was that you know the way it was described was it wasn't what you would imagine like Satan worship. Do you think he was just at the time telling that to kind of like, like, you know, settle unease people? Because I, I, it's because his, his, we watched stuff. He was making films what in the late fifties, early sixties, that kind of an era in the through the seventies and, and into maybe even the early eighties. And then in the sixties into the seventies, there was which I think we've touched upon. There was like a huge. Not a movement, but it seemed like there was a lot of. There was a lot. It's, oddly you know enough, I mean? I'm in the middle of writing something f- for a publication where I've now re- I've researched the, the occult. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good yeah, like, the occult. Yeah, the, um, like movie uh, interest in the '60s and '70s, and then its impact on the '80s was something that we don't remember. At least we don't think about it. And when I read about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. Was that there was this huge panic in uh, parts of America, certain uh, aspects, probably, you know, certain communities, certain, I would imagine certain, uh, certain types of people had this panic. It was called satanic panic. It had a, t- it had a title in the yeah. 80s. And there was this great fear of uh, satanic, like, cult abuse and that they would kidnap people and do all these things, well, you and, know, and it would be on, you know, it would be on like Donahue, yeah, and, Unsolved Mysteries, and, 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 and these shows, even you know, maybe not local news, but 
on things like 2020 or 60 Minutes minutes and stuff like that. There'd be all these stories about it. And it was all coming out of the fact that uh, this interest in the occult and things like... uh, with Anton LaVey yeah. created his the, the LaVeyan Church of Satan or something in the in the mid 60s and then in the 60s we had things like Rosemary's Baby and then throughout the 70s we had all these movies about satanic cults and Satan you and know. then you had parallel that like the rocks like you know the Alex Coopers are like oh the, sure per- perceived to be like well of course the creation core. of heavy metal but yeah. then in, throughout the 80s they were all capitalizing. Yeah. The heavy metal bands were capitalizing on the fact that this satanic panic was in the air. But then, you know, what was happening was, I'm not going to say it was completely unfounded, but it, I, I could see why some people would get worried because you do hear these stories like I was recently watching on Amazon Prime binging uh, the original Unsolved Mysteries. And, and <clears throat> where I live in Westchester, I'm next to Yonkers on the near where uh, David Berkowitz lived at the time in Yonkers. There's Untermeyer Park which overlooks the Hudson River, and they bring it up on the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that people were, were there was, and I've heard this because we go walk our dogs in this nice park, and I've heard from people for years who live around the area that I work with, like, yeah, there used to be devil worshippers there and doing crazy shit, and I'm like, really? You know, in the 70s and the 80s, but then in this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, they were talking about how, you know, German shepherds were being uh, kidnapped and killed, and then they were finding, you know, tons of dog bodies or people would be walking around and they walk up on a ceremony people in robes and doing crazy shit like a lot of like animal sacrifices and stuff like that and uh, maybe to yeah the but you wonder of, how much of that you know is, but i mean hearsay yeah but i'm saying it, there's got to be you know if there's there's fire you know there's got to be some parallel yeah <laughs> there's smoke, you know, there's fire. and i'm not saying they're kidnapping people and killing people but it yeah. does even in areas of, of connecticut where i was from i remember like my best friend's brother's telling us that people would do, you know, you'd see, you know. So I feel like there were people fucking around. I mean, there was a, um, in the 70s, uh, there was, uh, of all people, Vincent Price put out a bunch of albums uh, that he recorded. He recorded a, a record called Witchcraft and Magic, an Adventure in, an adventure in Demonology in 1969. Then he did A Coven of Witches' Tales in 1973. Then in seventy two he did uh, tales of wi- tales of witches, ghosts, and goblins, and then he did a last one called a graveyard of ghost tales in seventy four. The ghost tales ones is just ghost tales, but the first one, the witchcraft and magic. If you listen to this, and then the coven of witches tales, they're actually like how to guides, and some of them sound like oh, it's kind of silly, but then some of them are almost uncomfortable because it's like, you know, I mean, sure, it's it's done for for you know at the end of the day, it's yeah. just done as I don't know what you even call it if it's satirizing. But it's like semi-serious. This is what you need, and, and it, it each yeah. like this is a cantation of how to to bring a spirit back, or, or if you want to look at a ghost, you have to look through the the ears of a dog across the dog, and you could see it. You know, it's like, and this is what you're going to need. You're going to need a cat's a dead cat, and this and that, and then so it's almost like I don't know. It's it's it's. I feel like there is an error there where some of this stuff was, even if it wasn't in the public psyche. Uh, it was in the public psyche, but not being taken seriously. I feel like there probably were people who were digesting it all. Oh, sure. Who were then trying to like, like, like this movie here, The Craft. Like, like, oh, let's try it ourselves. Like, you know, we hear uh, about uh, uh, what do you call Ouija boards? You know, that kind mm-hmm. of shit. And then you know, the Mattel put out a fucking you know. So you had, <laughs> 
Mattel's <laughs> selling you Ouija boards to talk to the dead, you know, and that kind of a stuff. You know, there, I remember it being little, people having Ouija boards and stuff. And even to the point we talk about that, you know, maybe Ouija boards were banned in England for a while or this or that. So it's like it felt like there was this kind of fear of uh, if, if stuff was happening or not that – in in the era of the 70s into the 80s. Yeah. You know? I mean, I wonder how much of it was... Through entertainment as well, feeding it. Was, like, entertainment... You know, what was chi- what came first? Was it the chicken or the egg? Yeah. You know, was there... Cause, I mean, I'm sure you had, you know, you had things like the Manson murders. And, and then so Crowley, the, that came, he came back, you know. Uh, Mr. Crowley. <laughs> you know, he was huge. And Huxley, like all the, the you know, sat- big Satan yeah. worshippers from the day. like Jimmy Page that were very into, into Crowley and the idea of. Of like, but that was more, I felt like, like this, like Wiccan magic into the earth paganism. Yeah. Where like. Uh, Huxley and maybe Crowley, to a certain extent, were more of the devil worship. That's why I've never heard when you hear Anger talking about uh, Ken Anger, the, the experimental um, uh, the filmmaker, saying like, uh, you know, I worship Satan, but I, I worship him as the light. Like, I wonder if that's him just trying to I'm like, well, it's not as bad as you make it sound, <laughs> you know, or secretly at yeah, night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's there's certainly the the you know the animal sacrifice and all that. You know, there's there's certain blood rites and you know, it's so it's just. Um, it is w- once you hit the middle 60s, you know, with like the Beatle invasion, the Beatles invasions of Vietnam or JFK, the assassinations getting into the late 60s. You see this influx of, like you said, the Manson murders and all these kind of serial killers or whatever, the dark side in the 60s into the 70s. Yeah. W- at what point was it? Yeah. Was it in ro- films like Rosemary's Baby or or. Uh, what is the Satanic School for Girls or yeah, Satan School for Girls? Of course, you had the Omen and the Exorcist, weren't weren't dealing with the occult so much, but certainly well, the Omen like is the, the devil, yeah, you know, the devil or, or an evil, and then you the, had things like you know, race with the devil, yeah, Peter Fonda, and uh, or a whole even slew of the, them. even across the world, you know, in Spain, you had. Uh, Satan's blood in like 1978. No, Wicker Man, like we said, that's that's I forget what year that is, but that's solid 70s. And even like, uh, you know, into the late 70s, you have there's just a whole slew of entertainment that's that's marketing towards yeah. say because I remember and, uh, and I think we've again touched upon this. Uh, and other ca- growing up in like the 80s, being young and then being very impressionable, going over my best friend's house and talking to his brothers who were hugely into like, you know, hair metal bands, sure. Motley Crue, uh, you know, um, Iron Maiden and those guys. It's like that to me represented like the dark, you know, it was evil, dark. Maybe they were, you know, Eddie from Iron Maiden was, you know, Satan worshiping or whatever. Yeah. But, but it, I felt like it was. In the background uh, of our, you know what I mean? Certainly 80s heavy metal. Or even just the, you know, Halloween, like, I felt like more than na- than than today, but you had that idea that, that you knew what, that, that could, you know, what Satan worshippers were, or people in robes with candles in the woods, you know, uh, I felt like that was more of, like, in our purview back then, Yeah, you know, that, that people were maybe doing this, and maybe because of real life stuff, like the, you know, the Manson murders, or thrill killings, and stuff like that, uh, you know. Now, of course, the craft is, a, is, is about witches. The witches. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was going to come at one point. Which I believe is, you know, more, you know, we really should have, damn, we really should have taken a continuing education course on Wicca. Yeah. To, in preparation for this. I know. I was thinking that I have a book, which I brought up before, called Satan and all his works. When, when then, but then I was like, you know, I, I was going to try to binge read that over the weekend, but then- 
we talk about here where there's it's two different things. It's, it's not, not really Satan. about yeah. Satan. Exactly. About Satan. Manow. Manow. Yeah. But it seems to me, you know, Wick has always seems more about nature. Yeah. You know, it's more about like the power of nature and then, then you have deities or whatever that are involved in nature and cause the elements. Yeah. And things like that. I mean, I don't know how much of it when you get like Season of the Witch, you know, uh, not the George Romero movie, but also Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, yeah. which is, you know, more about Sam Hain and, yeah, and like the, the Druids uh, and, and the whole act Celtic. of Halloween and the All Hallows Eve and that kind of a thing. Which even we talked about, you said that the novelization of the first Halloween movie has like a like an epi- a little bit of a, yeah, yeah the epilogue is where she like <clears throat> there's a woman uh, you know accused of being a witch. I if I recall correctly, the beginning of that. Um, but thinking of season of the witch, the George Romero movie, which is a movie that I find fascinating and really interesting. Uh, didn't really think about it until right now in relation to this, but it's that is about a woman who, um, it's in the seventies and she's lonely, and uh, she's a housewife, and she has a daughter who's I don't know maybe she's in her high school or college, so she's just kind of and her her husband travels, and she kind of becomes curious about witchcraft. As you know, it, it's ultimately this story about, uh, much like this one, kind of women, woman empowerment. Yeah, you know, but in the early seventies, when the feminist movement was, you know, really starting to yeah post hippie to take off. Um, it seems like it's interesting in relation to this because, in a lot of ways, that's what this movie is about. It's just about younger females. They're in high school. They're kind of uh, the outsiders of the school, and it's about them finding, uh, you know, belonging in in the, their other classmates and the other girls that that are into it, and and also empowerment. You know, becoming um, finding themselves, or, fi- or you know, certainly, or <clears throat> definitely, you know. A little bit of a metaphor of becoming a woman, but also very much uh, finding their own uh, path, you know, their own confidence in themselves. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, in a lot of ways, it's about, you know, with great power bec- uh, comes great responsibility because, you know, very soon Nev Campbell's character, you know, she becomes very conceited very quickly. Well, that's they, they established that very early on that like whatever – uh, whatever is inside of you is going to be personified threefold, and so. But I think it's also much about uh, when you're a teenager, the kind of thing where you kind of you know you're uh, you're an adult, but you're not an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like your body is becoming an adult, but you're still immature, and you think you know. Everything, yeah. but you don't really know anything, and I, I think it's 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 that. I think it's also a lot about that for me, anyway. Yeah. As, as an interpretation, it's like they get this power, and it's not that they're yes, there's responsibility involved, but it's also 
they don't have the maturity to be responsible with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's like if you give a kid a little bit of confidence or a little, I don't know, money or affluence that it, that you, that some of these kind of uh, uh, th- emotions or feelings will come out. Projection. Yeah, like, they, know, they get carried away, yeah. or you know, they start to believe the hype in that you know that. In this case, it's that they've become – they're able to do things and, you know, they're, they've become sexy or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's – it's just I think it's – there's a lot going on in the movie and I think it, maybe this is a good place to kind of start with some of the background because all of this was intended to be this way, which is um, the producer, Douglas Wick, who previously had produced Working Girl and Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And went on to produce Girl Interrupted, which I, you know, is is also female driven. Yeah, the um, big movie. one with the ladies. And then lady later uh, things like Gladiator and Hollow Man in, in two thousand. But uh, he had this idea that he wanted to write. A, he wanted to produce a movie. He wanted to develop a movie that was about this idea of girls in high school who were outsiders. And he also happened to love, as a kid, the show Bewitched, which is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And he went on to produce the re- the, the, the reboot yeah, remake movie yeah. with uh, Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman. And Nicole Kidman. And so he said, well, what if we made them witches? So he came up with this idea that he wanted to make a high school girl movie about witches. Now, there had been a movie called Teen Witch. Yeah. Um, and I believe we had at the beginning of this episode – an introduction by the star of Teen Witch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so a uh, special shout out and thank you to her. Um, Rob, I think Robin Lively, I believe is her, her name. And so he ended up hiring uh, a screenwriter named Peter Filari. Fol- Fol- yeah. And uh, he actually hadn't done a whole lot in terms of having things released anyway. We've discussed on the show how screenwriters can have a very prosperous screenwriting yeah, career past and, couple ne- episodes we did and never have ever had anything produced. But he had written an episode of MacGyver. Sweet. Which is one of Dion's favorite shows. Yeah. The episode The Endangered. Yeah. Which starred MacGyver uh, visiting an animal, for, animal preserve to reunite with an old girlfriend who is a park ranger there. Their reunion is complicated by a battle they have with the poachers and of endangered animals on the preserve. I think that that might be the African episode. There's which an episode. Is, which is, that's off of IMDb. What, uh, <laughs> they tell you what season that is? Or what year that is? 88. I don't know what season it was. Mm, there's an episode of one I can't even probably watch again where it's like he goes to Africa and they're like fighting poachers and they actually took, it was one of these like, you know, quintessential episodes where at the end, Richard Anderson does a voiceover, but they they got a rhino that actually they had the horns removed for whatever reasons, and then they put a siege they they use special makeup effects to put, you know, like that the poachers came and took the frickin' horns right off of it and it was still alive and it's and then Wolverine came yeah and Wolverine was like fuck <laughs> it's, it's the Punisher Wolverine Punisher had oh, to yeah, fight yeah. a gorilla yeah, and it's, he's like what the hell and then Wolverine thinks Punisher's a uh, a poacher and he's not uh, so it was a, it's a heartbreaking <laughs> episode how many people yeah, can understand you can that reference yeah. uh, so it was a it was a, t- a horrifying episode if that's the, if that's the episode I'm thinking of a tough one to watch which I don't think I'd be able to I'm such a a tenderfoot now. 
uh, a pansy with that. I don't think I'd be able to watch it. But he was writing stuff like that, I guess, episodic and he, television. And then he had written Flatliners. Yeah, which was huge, and that just came out. Which was a big movie. So he uh, met with Douglas Wick to talk about uh, this movie, and he had actually been researching um, the occult and uh, Satanism and stuff for another project. The writer. Uh, yeah, the writer. And in turn had also Velarde. had come with, you know, come across research about witches. And so they talked and, and so uh, Flaherty wrote the first draft of, or the original movie yeah. for this. Now, at some point, I guess they decide that the script needs more work. And then instead of having uh, Flaherty write it, and I'm sure some of these notes were coming from the studio, uh, they end up talking to Andrew Fleming mm. to do the rewrites for the script. Yeah. Now, Andrew Fleming had also had written and directed a few movies by that point, uh, including Bad Dreams from 1988, which starred one of Dion's favorite actors, Richard Lynch. Yes. Who, who doesn't <laughs> love Richard Lynch, the bad guy from such movies as The Seven Ups, Invasion USA, covered here. Yeah. Uh, friend of Randy Jurgensen's. Also in God Told Me To. And also in the remake of uh, the Rob Zombie first Halloween. He's the principal in that. God rest his soul. He's passed away. And then I, my favorite. I love how you, 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 you <laughs> relate it all to me. And then he had, in 1994, he had written and directed a movie called Threesome, which was a uh, more of a, like a character-driven like indie. In, like indie. But that was a big hit. I remember movie. being freshman in college, and everyone loved Threesome. Yeah. You know, because of the implications. It shows a threesome in it, and look at the possibilities. People yeah. have threesomes, you know. Uh, and, that, and that had a Baldwin brother in it, and um, I forget who else is in I that. I think but, Laura Flynn Boyle, Boyle, maybe. And then the other kid who's in a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, So that he did that, and then he was he signed on also to direct this Fleming. Well, originally he his side of the story is that he had signed on to rewrite it. Yeah, and he thinks that maybe they wanted him to really direct it all along. But by the time he had rewritten it, he had gotten very you know he had put a lot of himself into the script, and so he became very fond of the script and very. And well, he, he added things. He added the. The, the idea of Nev Campbell having the burn scars because she, he knew a girl, I guess, what right? He knew yeah. a girl who had uh, the same kind of an issue. And would cover it up with clothing. Yeah. And, and then it was the implication of what's there that you can't see that we know is there. And then he, had, he added some other elements that he – which actually I think personally are pretty good stuff to – you know, pretty good ad- additions. Yeah, it seems like Filardi kind of laid down like a – like a, a posit, like a, a like a great outline, yeah. <clears throat> like a great skeleton for it, yeah. Foundation. And then there. Andrew Fleming came in and had added a lot of nuance to it, taking from his own life. I mean, you know, I, he supposedly maybe had a rough time in high school, maybe felt a bit of an outsider, which a lot of us did, but put a lot of that into it. Like you said, he added elements like uh, Neff Campbell's burns and. Uh, things, but he ended up, you know, becoming very uh, attached to the script, and, and I feel like that, the, you know, since so much time has passed, everyone's kind of over it all. But it seemed like when you watch the interviews and stuff, uh, Filardi, the original screenwriter, I feel like there was a little initial 
battle there where, you know, his script's going to be taken away from him and rewritten that he's now had to come to terms with and he's okay with because the movie's a success. It's a cult classic now. But I feel like at the time, when you know, when you have Douglas Wick, the producer, coming in, fleshing something out with the original screenwriter, that screenwriter writing it, and then initially, for whatever reason, you speculated that it could be notes from the studio, that they bring somebody else in and then somebody else comes and just messes, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the way of Hollywood. That's the way it is. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think any writer... Yeah, unless it, unless it's really a work for hire, they really don't give a crap about it. Yeah, you know, maybe then they don't mind so much being rewritten. But I would imagine any writer is a little bit possessive of their work, yeah, especially you know? if it's something you know, a spec script or something that you know you you have a, a, a huge affinity for, or you have a you know stake in. No, I didn't really realize it until uh, now. But apparently, Andrew Fleming is a one of my favorite directors because he directed one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Hamlet 2. Hamlet 2. From 2008. Yeah. And I knew that he had directed the movie Dick from 1999. Yeah. Um, with Mich- Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst. It's a That's a political movie, right? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a kind of a political like a, comedy. Yeah, they're, they're following someone on a campaign trail or well, something. Well, no, like. it's like they make a call. It's like what if... Deep Throat was actually these girls doing a prank call. Oh, for the Watergate. Yeah. And Nixon. <laughs> so it's yeah. about like how these teenage girls make a prank call to Woodward and Bernstein yeah. or whatever. It wasn't Bob Novak. It was actually <laughs> uh, Deep Throat. And, how, was, and yeah. how that <laughs> got the ball rolling too. Yeah, uh, the whole the Watergate, the Watergate, and everything. And Nixon's you know? downfall. So it's kind of this farce about like what if the what if yeah. Um, and it's a very clever movie, and I knew that the director of Hamlet 2 had directed that, but I didn't realize that he had also directed The Craft. Uh, the Craft. Yeah. But he also apparently has small acting parts in the movies Fired Up, which is a movie that I love, and Easy A, which is also a movie I love. So he's also connected to other movies. Is Easy A the one that just came out in a couple a couple years ago? It's with uh, Emma Stone. Yeah, I really <coughs> like that one, too. That was like a high school. That's right up your alley. Yeah, yeah. high school coming of age and... Yeah, she's dating. Yeah, yeah. And Fired Up is a cheerleading movie. Of course. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My <laughs> That's why I knew coming into this tonight, I was like, we have it going for him that this could be right up Blake's alley. So uh, Andrew Fleming. Well, he had a great idea, too, where, like you're saying, they wanted to do like a uh, almost like a female teen horror movie or a female coming to age movie. But then I like the idea when they start thinking about casting it, they, they weren't just going to get girls who were just attractive. They wanted to get a little, you know. They, they didn't want, like, who the studio would have wanted suggested. them to get. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted all, you know, bomb, beautiful bombshell yeah. women. I yeah. mean, all these women are, are beautiful, but not in that yeah. plasticky kind of a know. way. And, I mean, they talk, they throw numbers out. They're saying that they tested, like, 85 different actresses for the four uh, main parts and you know Angelina Jolie was really vying for the lead uh, for the um, for the uh, Feruza Balk role and then even Alicia Silverstone a lot, a lot of what ifs and then they end up um, testing don't they test I think uh, Robin Tunney for the for the other role for the Feruza Balk role and then they say you know she might be good here and and then the, even the um, uh, Rachel True well I know that Robin Tony was really vying for the Nev Campbell part. Yeah, and had original okay. and had originally got cast in that part. Yeah, but the two, the first two girls cast were um, Rachel True 
and it wasn't, it wasn't even written for a black actress. No, you but know. Then they said, "Oh, her." I guess her audition was really good, and then they're like, "Oh, this could really, you know, fill it out." Yeah, and uh, and then Fruza Balk was the second actress, and and you know, playing into this idea of the outsider. You know, you have this girl who's the, uh, and then when get, and then when Nev Campbell came into the picture because she was the last person to be cast, kind of hot off of uh, Party of Five. For some reason, they felt that um, Robin Tunney would be better in the lead part as Sarah. And so they kind of con- convinced her to take on the role of Sarah and Niff Campbell play the role of Bonnie. But uh, and, and Robert Tunney had recently had shaved her head for Empire Records. Yeah. And so she wears a wig through the entire movie, <clears throat> yeah. which is kind of noticeable. But. You know, you know, it's one of those things where I wouldn't have noticed it unless they told me. But then once I knew, then I was, you know, I was looking <laughs> the whole time. You know, I yeah. think I didn't notice it until when she changed her hair color, and then I'm like, oh yeah, she's got a wig on the whole movie. And then I was like looking, like, oh, it's a wig the whole movie. And also, we should mention too in our era of this high school, like this was the era of goth. Yeah, you know, like like uh, people like Marilyn Manson were big, and um, you know, like to a certain exp- uh, respect, Tim Burton, but there was like a lot of music of that well, era. Yeah, I mean, know, I was, like I was the whole movement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to kind of get in, into that because there's that is a huge part of this. Um, you know, the one thing I was going to say is uh, <clears throat> they're all kind of outsiders in that Nev Campbell is burned and hiding her scars. Uh, uh, Robin Tunney had tried to commit suicide before the movie, so she's, you know, and uh, Rachel True is is black in, in a primarily all white school, so she's yeah. a bit of an outsider. And then have, casting her character, casting her in that part, gave them freedom to, you know, have, you know, this racial tension that happens in the in the school, which you know, kind of sparks some of the retaliation with the witchcraft. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the, the idea of the goth thing is, is an interesting one because, I mean, I don't even know at that point, I don't even remember when the first time I heard that term was. And there were, like you said, there were things that were happening in popular culture that were kind of fueling that. But I didn't fully realize it. I mean, for me, it was like, you know, I think... You know, when you listen to the makers of this film talk about this movie, they talk about this movie as being, uh, you know, this kind of big uh, instigator of like the goth movement. Yeah. But for me, it was The Crow. Like, I yeah. remember when The Crow came out, all of a sudden there were. It, all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. There were kids that were dressed up like Brandon Lee's character. Yeah, Eric Draven. They, they dressed just like that. Every day, yeah, and then on Halloween they, the would put, they would put the makeup on. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like for me, I first realized it around high school. What year is the crow? Ninety five, ninety four, maybe. Uh, because even them talking about in in, in relation of making this movie, crow's ninety four. So the sound, even even in preparation for the soundtrack for the craft, they were listening constantly to the crow soundtrack, and I feel like the for me the crow was such a huge soundtrack for us while we were in high school, uh, even though we didn't know each other at the time. I mean, like, for, like, our generation then, yeah. it was huge, even if you liked it or not. Uh, and that kind of, for me, kind of was like a sleeper movie because it wasn't, it was almost like the James Dean situation where, like, uh, I remember Brandon Lee being killed, but it didn't really make an impact to me until the movie came out. 
And then everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, this movie's this and then it's dead. So I don't know if the – who knows if The Crow would have been as successful if it was if he'd been alive still. Yeah. Or – I mean, it's certainly, for lack of a better term, like romanticized the movie. Yeah, it, it helped almost carry the movie. You know, it's like like East of Eden – not East of Eden, uh, Giant or Rebel Without a Cause did for, for James Dean or anybody, you know, yeah. like – so uh, – I, yeah, I feel like once that movie came out in our high school, solidly, that was whenever I, st- you know, you start noticing people wear dressing like that way, or the hair, and you know, or or kind of a certain amount of goth makeup, or you know, uh, painting their nails a certain way, and then you know that goes down a road to leads almost to like the kids who committed the massacre Columbine, like you know, the, and people got worried about yeah. where this was going. <clears> I mean, the, I think the dark it was. Sides of that. I mean, I think it was in music before it was noticeable at least in mainstream film because you had bands like typo negative yeah before the crow i mean <clears throat> you know the album that i fell in love with typo negative was uh bloody kisses which was 1993 so that album came out even before the crow are did. they on the crow soundtrack typo never Negative? i don't know i, forget I don't if they're i don't think so but they they should have they should be yeah. <laughs> but i mean even that that album has a song called black number one which is about a girl who dresses goth and black yeah. number one is the color of hair dye. She dyes her hair and uh, it's about her putting on her black lipstick and going out and, you know, playing vampire and, and stuff. So, I mean, it was definitely, it was happening. And then also we, we were in an era where MTV was huge, was a staple. So I feel like they were, you know, music videos were feeding. It was all kind of cyclical where... It would, you know, if it showed up in music first, it would uh, eventually bleed over into movies or or into comic books or whatever form of entertainment, you know, you were you were looking at. So, the reason we brought this up is because people who may not have that frame of reference now might forget that that was huge at the it time. It was the beginning of it. Yeah. So it was in its infancy. So when movies like this come out, it also I think it it helps girls all over the country or world who like can completely relate to being the outsider being you know especially you know girls may even have it worse than guys because their bodies are changing and how they look sure. and all that and then trying to feel pretty and attractive to and, the opposite sex know, or whatever I mean, men in general are difficult but teenage boys are yeah you know, you know so tough to handle <laughs> yeah look at yeah with the skeet Ulrich here you know so it's like it, you know, I felt like, you know, a lot of people instantly identified with this movie because yeah. of these. It's also worth noting that that imagery, the goth imagery is kind of what sold this movie to the studio. Yeah. In that they were really trying to get it done and the studio really wasn't behind it, even though they were putting money towards pre, into pre-production and development. But it wasn't until Andrew Fleming, the director, had shot some screen footage and one of the shots was the four girls all dolled up in black. Yeah, they're, they're you they're know, look. with black with black lipstick and in this goth, which, you know, may or may not have been a, a term by then. But this idea that they look like, you know, members of the band, uh, the cult or something. Yeah. And it almost and it was it was that shot of them walking towards the camera, which is kind of what the poster. Yeah, is. it ended up being the poster. And they and apparently all looking hot that the four of them walking around. Uh, allegedly, the studio saw this shot of them dressed like that, walking to the camera, and then they got into it. They yeah. like realized, okay, like we understand the vision of the movie. We understand, like we get that this is for teenagers, <laughs> girls and boys. Okay, we understand the vision. We're behind it now. 
So, I mean, had it not been for this goth movement that was kind of happening, that was in the air at the time, this movie might may have never even gotten made. It's weird because for me, uh, knowing the soundtrack, not n- seeing the movie, I uh, completely associated the Smith song um, "How Soon Is Now" to this movie. The, well, like that was. It's almost like the uh, the other song with the Breakfast Club. You know, like that was. I connected the two, and. The the one that appears on the soundtrack is a cover by uh, Love Split Love, I guess, is is the band that covers that. And is it uh, – I don't know if you, you could tell, but is it a, a situation where the original song was used in the movie but then they put a cover on the album? It very well could have been. They, might have, I, they may not have been able to get the right. Because there's a, it's like an instant saying casino uh, on that double disc where they have – they use at the end of the movie House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. And they use the original version in the movie, but then when you get the soundtrack, it's like Eric Burden's, you know, years later him singing it as a 50-year-old. It doesn't sound as good as the an- the one you yeah. know from the animals. So I wonder, I mean, for years I thought it was the original version. Uh, and this is the movie that got me into the Smiths and I'm sure got a whole generation of girls into the Smiths because yeah. it seemed like it was the the, the kind of like the uh, the one song you associate with all that. But I didn't know. For, for lack of a better term, all these, you know, like the Tomorrow Never Knows, the Beatles cover on here and all, you know, all these great covers that are on this. And it's for me, even the, you know, a little more like uh, another uh, movie that was huge when we were in high school, Kids. You know, sure, that, yeah. that movie was like a, basically a shot like, you know, around New York City about a bunch of kids. That was a breakthrough hit and all the actresses and actors that were all breakout stars in that Um uh, that had a phenomenal soundtrack that was almost as big or bigger, maybe propelled by MTV. And a lot of those people, um, I may be wrong, but a lot of them were almost one-hit wonders. You know the songs from that album, and but unless you're into those bands, they never really went anywhere else. Sure. But um, what's my point here? Uh, oh, some of these, like, to me, that sounds, kids' soundtrack sounds very much like whenever that movie came out. Yeah, yeah. Where this kind of sounds still... Maybe because it's covers of songs we know, yeah, it kind of still sounds relevant today, you know. Yeah, supposedly Andrew uh, Fleming, the director, had been listening to a lot of this music yeah. as he wrote, as he was rewriting the script, and as he was directing the movie. And you know, he for so for him, a lot of these songs just became the movie for him, and yeah. so they ended up acquiring a lot of it. And he also knew the artist uh, Matthew Sweet, and so he had convinced. Matthew Sweet to do the song Dark Secret for the movie. Um, But as he's, you know, Deion's talking about the soundtrack and, and, you know, how uh, soundtracks like The Crow had become very big and how, you know, that music was influential on this music. But also the score itself was influential in that they may have even tempted a lot of the movie with The Crow score. So when it came to who can we get to do the actual score and not the songs for the movie. Who should we get? And so they went to Graham Revel, who's the guy who did the music for The Crow, the score music for The Crow, and Graham ended up doing the music for this movie. And um, he also released a, a companion, another soundtrack, which was the score of this movie. And Graham has had a, a you know, a blockbuster uh, sleepover movie career in that uh, one of his earliest movies was Dead Calm yeah, with Sam Neill and, and Billy Zane and, and Nicole, Nicole Kidman, yeah. Spontaneous Combustion by Toby Hooper, uh, Child's Play 2, Body of Evidence with Madonna and Willem Dafoe. You know I love Madonna. <laughs> uh, the Crush yeah. with uh, Alicia Silverstone, yeah. Hard Target, which we covered on this show. Yeah, um, No Escape with Ray Liotta, yeah. The Crow, 
uh, Street Fighter. Yeah. The the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Tank Girl, Strange Days, wow. which is, I think, is lumped into- That era. The, you know, this that's a future kind of noirish movie, yeah. but certainly of- uh, the same elk of like Johnny Mnemonic. Of that yeah, it's yeah. the big soundtrack with covers by like the door, like Raymond Zarek and uh, uh, a friend of uh, mine, Joseph Bashar, got his start because he was had a band. He, he was in a band that did a, did that song with Raymond Zarek for the Strange Days. Is it, do they cover the Strange Days on the Strange Days soundtrack? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then I've, that's hilarious because I remember seeing that movie coming out and I was like, they're not using sh- the door Strange <laughs> They've named the thing Strange Days. I think it's Joseph, if I recall correctly, it's Joseph Bashar's band, which I can't remember the name of at the time. And it wasn't like it was his band, but he was in the band. Yeah. I believe with Raymond Zarek. Um, it's not Echo and the Bunnymen, though, because that'd be they. Menzerich had links to them, and they did the Lost Boys. People, yeah, strange. yeah, no, I think this um, was something. That's else. hilarious. You're breaking news to me because I've never, for years, I'm like, whoa, that's the one of the the worst opportunities you lost. You, you have a song <laughs> called Strange Days. You're naming it a uh, movie, Strange Days. You play play the fucking song. And I that movie, th- even though uh, Graham Revels the one who did the score, that's actually the Joseph Bashar is the guy who did the music for the Insidious movies, yeah. and the Conjuring movies. Um, that's what he's most famous for. And well, you're friends with now as well. Yeah, because yeah. he's in my book. Um, but uh, his first job was doing, in film, was doing music for the trailer for Strange Days. Wow. And I remember that trailer. That was crazy with, uh, what's his, Gabriel, not Gabriel Burns. Uh, but he's a bro- Joseph Fiennes. Joseph Fiennes talking to you. Yeah. First person. I remember that all weird about And so Joseph got to start doing trailer music because sometimes the trailers were coming out so far ahead of the movie to promote the movie that the scores weren't done yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, Graham Rebel also did From Dust Till Dawn, The Saint, Spawn, Bride of Chucky, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, The Ruins, Sin City. He did, I believe, the first, uh, he did one of those um, Dune okay. miniseries that were on when we were in college. Yeah. Who John Harrison, who did the music for Creepshow and... Uh, Day of the Dead, um, who also directed Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. He directed that. Dune. Yeah. Actually, I believe I believe Graham did the first one. If he didn't do the first one, he did the second one, which was Children of Dune. So Graham has had a an amazing career. And even, you know, I'm stopping at, uh, you know, the 2000s or, you know, the early 2000s. But he's still doing tons of music. Um, but he ended up doing the score for this movie. Um, so that has d- a direct connection to, to the crow. crow. Yeah, and, and, uh, and there's even songs that are in the movie that don't don't appear on the soundtrack. And it's funny because it's my first time seeing the movie. Uh, Portishead, who, who I'm a big fan of, uh, I first heard them. Funny enough, in the uh, Antonio Banderas uh, Sly Stallone movie, Assassins. Yeah. There's a song in it where. Um, He's killing somebody, and she's like, if, I haven't seen the movie in 20 years, but she's watching through, like, CCTV of him killing. And then in the background is, is, this, is this, you know, nobody loves you. It's, and I'm like, uh, uh, and I'm like, oh, my, this, you know, and that's how I found Portishead. And then when I'm watching this song, and I don't, you don't remember offhand what year? Isn't, is Assassin's 1995, 96, 97? Must be around this time. And what it's, I believe it's whatever your showgirls came out. So it is at 95 or... You know, I feel like it's Somewhere 97, around. but Somewhere, we were in college by that time. We, so, but there's a song, Scorn, Porter's uh, song, um, Scorn in this. And then, and like halfway through the movie, 
uh, near the end, I heard it, and I'm like, oh my god, it's Portishead. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, this is crazy. Had I seen this movie when I was supposed to see it, I would have known them early. You know? <laughs> so, but then you know, they don't even appear on the soundtrack, and I think there's other couple songs that don't appear on the soundtrack. Um, but I was listening to the soundtrack on the way over here just to get myself fresh with it again. It's just, it's you know, all great cuts. I was into it. Like some of them are really, you know, the. Um, uh, the he- Heather Nova song, even the Jewel song, you know, really good. Yeah, and it's it's just so funny how all these uh, this era of soundtracks was just so influential for us, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess you know, the, I mean, it, it's not like it started in the '90s, but it no. certainly seemed to. And we, we talked about this last week in the in the Scream soundtrack, but yeah. c- certainly for us, I think the the trifecta there the trifecta for us was like having MTV for them to push a music video on us and then movies we like and then songs. A lot of them also, like we talked about last week, a lot of like the Quentin Tarantino movies were best ofs. Yeah. So you're rediscovering these music that's been out there but you never heard before or they have like a catchy song you may know like, uh, you know, uh, Love and Spoonful having hot time in uh, Summer in the City in like Die Hard 3. So, you know, it's like, oh, you know. Uh, So, you know, or even the the Bell Book and Candle um, that appears in this movie, you know, that's off of, there's a great, uh, what is that, 1958 movie with Kim Novak, Jimmy Stewart, Elsa Lancaster, and Jack, Le- Jack Lemmon called Bell, Book, and Candle. And that's also about, it takes place in New York City, if I'm correct, and it's about witches, and then they're trying to put spells on people, and you know mm-hmm. that. So it's it's certainly, um, that's a very fun movie if, if you're into this kind of a genre, but you haven't seen it. Uh, uh, but it's, yeah, a great, great era and uh since we're kind of talking about like crew uh, i think it's worth noting um that the practical effects were done by a guy named tony gardner and his company and tony had worked on the blob the 88 blob which we covered on this show uh, dark man with sam rainy which we will cover on this show i think he did some stuff for hocus pocus yeah which we covered on the show uh adam's family yeah. uh, army of darkness yeah Freaked, which has been getting a lot of talk on social media lately. <laughs> Funny because I brought I brought it up when I was doing uh, another podcast, um, the uh, Twenty Six uh, Movies from Hell podcast. I had brought up the movie Freaked um, and Seed of Chucky, which is a movie that I have a great fondness for. So, uh, and there there was a scene that. Didn't make it in the movie that there's a still of of them. He did like elderly makeup too, which looked really good. Yeah. There's a scene, I guess, when they go to the magic shop. I guess I, my guess is that it's what was in the back of the magic shop was this older witch. Yeah, and she was the, you know. That got of, cut out. So we have, I mean, the plot of the movie is that like, um, uh, what's her face's character? Uh, Robin T- Tunney's character is moving in, moving from San Francisco to L.A., and she's being enrolled in this parochial school, a Catholic school, and you know, first day there, and she doesn't. She's kind of like you know, uh, the outsider, and then she, uh, I don't know if it's fate or unintentionally, ends up meeting this other these other outsiders that are peripheral in the school, and then they end up bonding, and they're all into the se- the same thing. Well, the three girls, uh, other than Robin Tunney, they're starting to experiment with witchcraft, yeah. on their own. Doing spells. But they need a fourth to complete the circle. Yeah. And it's and each one kind of represents you have a cool one of the elements. Yeah. So you have like Sarah uh, is Earth, Nev Which Campbell. Which is the Robin Tunney character. Yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell's character is the kind of the wind. 
uh, Rochelle, who is um, Rachel True. True, she's she's water, and then you know that's funny. She's a diver. She's a diver, yeah, exactly. And then uh, Nancy is uh, which which is Faruka's bulk. For <laughs> <I can laughs> well, by the end of the show, yeah, you're gonna I, get know, it. I know. Uh, she she is fire. So and then it's kind of you know bringing the element. And that's all back to like almost the Aristotle's idea of like you know the different elements and coming together, and you you have this whole. Uh, and then all you know the elements of the they they bring it up like you know Nev Campbell's the first person to see her and she's the wind and this you know yeah, and yeah. this the earth and she she grounds people. So do you think when when we first Nev Campbell first sets her eyes in, in the classroom on uh, Robin and Robin's playing with her Ticonderoga pencil? Um, do you think Robin knows that she has power? You know, I mean, she doesn't seem to be like she's into the other three are practicing. They're trying to do spells and they're trying to do stuff. They're maybe playing with Ouija boards. They're going to the the, the, the magic shop. Do you think Robin is at all uh, knows what she, you know, or she just fucking creep out and just starts, you know, playing with, you know. <laughs> He goes under in trance. And yeah, starts and then starts playing with pencils. And I would imagine. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, she pl- it's Robin Tunney. Uh, she plays the character of Sarah. And it's worth noting that she was in Encino Man. She was in End of Days. Yeah, which we just brought up. Because we had seen it together. And she's yeah. also in Vertical Limit, which was a movie that also made its way into Kung Fu February this mm-hmm. year. <laughs> yeah, not, not almost. Yeah, we, we, we got a lot of props. Rock climbing, <laughs> kung fu February minus the kung fu. There was a it was a brief discussion of, of trying to include that movie. Uh, I think it's pr- my guess would be because there's not there's not a whole lot of backstory other than that her mom died giving birth to her, and then at some point she tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Um, but other than that, we don't really have a whole lot to go on with her character. So if I had to guess, given what the information that we're given. Which is that she can balance a pencil on the tip of the pencil. <laughs> and then the tip the pencil is also turning into the desk. Is that she if – if, if I was writing yeah. a movie, if I was writing a backstory, it would be that she has these powers but never really identified them as such. Just knew – it's almost like um, uh, uh, the kid from The Shining talking to his finger. Like, yeah. He knows it's there, but he doesn't know what it is or whatever. Yeah, like it's probably, his mouth. you know, maybe she never even thought that, like, other people can't do it. Yeah. Or that, you know, she never put two and two together of, like, these weird uh, things that are happening are connected to her somehow. It's like when a kid learns to masturbate, it's like, you could do it too? I thought I was the only one. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's something that I guess she realized... Maybe once they open it up to her. And then her father in the movie is a guy who at the time, he was in everything. I recognize that guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, I haven't seen him in years because when, when you see him, I'm like, oh, it's him. Cliff, Where's he been? Cliff DeYoung, I think yeah. is his name. Um, so, so, so almost immediately, Nev Campbell sees her. He's like, hey, I found the fourth person to our circle. And then they, you know. Uh, There's a little resistance. Hesi- yeah, hesitation because they don't know. And, and um uh, Feruza is kind of, eh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think, you know. It, maybe it's a domination thing. She's, she's I a, think she feels like she's the leader the and, leader of the group. Yeah. And so she's weary of bringing someone new in, especially yeah. someone new that could possibly actually have powers. Because yeah. there's no indication that even though they're trying to do things, that they've actually been successful for, with anything yet. Yeah. And, um. It's. I, I mean, I think there's so many. Because there is definitely jealousy 
in the movie. At least I picked up on. Yeah, uh, in my sure. opinion, that sh- you know she's definitely jealous of Sarah's character of the character of Sarah, which is a very adolescent high school kind of a thing. You know, oh, yeah, the, I mean, I, era. it's a human thing, yeah. but I think those feelings get much. They're much more heightened at that age, especially in in that in a, a hierarchy of a group of friends, or you know, the newcomer being brought in there. You know, is it going to mess everything up? Um, and um, I think Faruza <laughs> and I, 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 the whole time. Gonna, Sorry, Faruza. Yeah, uh, I think she's amazing in this, and I, I find a lot of the. Like uh, the takes they use of her just – or the, all of them in, in a group are just phenomenal. Like, you know, I don't know if, if this is take one or take 20, but like when they're introducing each other, you know, when when she's watching, when Robin's watching uh, Skeet Ulrich playing f- bat- football and then they come over and introduce themselves, yeah. just the reactions and stuff. It's just – and then – or just the – a lot of the uh, characterizations I just think are really good. Yeah, you know? they're all very good. They have a good chemistry together. Yeah. Which I think is – you know, one of the strengths of the movie because you could have the same exact script made exactly the same way with talented actors, but if they just don't mesh yeah, it's, it's correctly, it, just, it won't or, feel right. You know, and then the whole Nev subplot of her with the scars and us going on a trip with her to the doctor's office to try to do this experimental treatment to get her scars removed is, it's, uh, it's interesting because they, they kind of do give everyone's backstory to, enough you need to understand what their pathos is to what they're bringing to the table of why they're looking yeah. to change themselves, the insecurities or whatever. She wants to be pretty when she's very attractive, except she doesn't feel attractive because, yeah. you know, her body's scarred or um, the uh, black girl is upset because she's not accepted or she can, you know, she's being bullied and then yeah, there's well, race, you know. <laughs> racially you know, bullied. Yeah. By, but I don't know. know, but I feel like that was the first time that was ever brought to the table. Maybe it wasn't racist up until because I feel yeah, like well, she was she's so definitely, taken aback. But it definitely you get the sense that she's been bullied by this girl. Sure, forever. yeah, 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 yeah. And then or, like, or the whole pack of those girls there, you know. Uh, and then you know, uh, Robin coming in, being the new girl in the neighborhood, and yeah, you know, and, she's, and then all, she's, you know, instantly, literally, she's coming into it an outsider yeah. because she's the new person. And I thought Skeet is great in this too because it's, it's he's great because he's so different in this than he is in Scream. Well, he see he seems so younger, but then it's funny seeing him in Scream, and and Matthew Lillard in Scream, uh, not so much Jamie Kennedy, but then seeing him in this movie, uh, Skeet. The the how they dress it's so of the of like you know people we dress like that the night you yeah. know it's like his outfits are just so of the era like you knew people <laughs> who dressed like that you know there's people who still dress like that you know and it's worth noting that Brecken Meyer who plays his friend in this movie who's kind of the wise ass was yeah. very close to playing the Randy character in Scream and, and find Jamie Kennedy and he's very I've seen him in a bit I feel like I know him now older he's in a bunch of stuff that I've seen oh yeah well he was in uh, Road Trip yeah um, he was on a show that I watched because it had Mark Paul Gossler called uh, Franklin and Bash which coincidentally uh, our boy Andrew Fleming directed at least one episode of Enter the Reunion there <laughs> um, yeah he was yeah he and I think he was one of the guys that did that created Robot Chicken Oh, okay. Oh, then maybe that's what, yeah. Green. Yeah. Uh, so it's so seeing that it's just funny seeing you know him. He, if, you know, he, I don't know if his turn was surprising for me, but I I was believing him at first when he was hanging out with Skeet Ulrich. You know, he was like want you know, and then all of a sudden when he tries to make a play for her and she says no the next day, I was almost as shocked she was. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that he's <laughs> he's now. 
they were actually not talking shit to her. They were that was right that she, yeah. Know. Well, it's it's a, it's actually pretty well done in that there's the that she's told that he's told people he's been talking about her, and also that he 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 had STDs because Bulk says like he gave, trust me like almost an indication she got something from him. Yeah, you know she she. You know, at first I thought it was going to be that she's just saying this, like, well, I already got with him. Like, you know, and I thought maybe she didn't. Yeah. But then later on in that we learn when the movie progresses, when she corners him in the in the uh, room, that she's like, remember that time we had a great time fooling around? Like, she still secretly wants him and still wants, maybe almost wants his her, her his approval of her, you sure, know? Sure, yeah. So, but there's this element of he's a dick for saying things. But then when she goes and confronts him about it, He's just a total asshole. Yeah, to her. Yeah, which is just like really ups the stakes. But also <laughs> gives you that idea of uh, like each person has something done to them, and it almost justifies their extreme. You know, because I almost there's a turning here when um, uh, and I, I don't know the girl's name off the top of my head. Uh, what's her face? Who's um, Ben Stiller's wife? <laughs> Mrs. Stiller. Yeah, no, no, yes, no. Um, Kristen Taylor, maybe? Yeah. Looking at the list, who's also in Dodgeball. Uh, you know, once her hair starts falling out and stuff like that, well, you I'm know, like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's horrific, but it's also like. Yeah, Christine Taylor is. is they're. Hot as balls, sorry. <laughs> they don't know. You know, funny thing is when I was in high school, we rented a horror movie and she was in. And it was like, I don't know, like Witchboard 7. Or, you know, it was some – or it was on Cinemax or something and we watched it. And she was in it and we kept on saying – calling her Marsha in the movie because she looks like uh, – Yeah, from Marsha from uh, – From the Brady Bunch. Yeah. I can't remember. Maureen – I can't remember the actress's name that played Marsha. And then in the movie, it's a joke in the movie that she looks like Marsha, one of the characters – Starts calling her Marsha. And I only knew her from Hey Dude. She was, you know, the girl from Hey Dude, and that was a show for years. But uh, it's this idea that they're playing with something that they don't understand. Yeah. Like, yes, there's revenge involved. But it's the kind of thing of of children not, not knowing the power of it. Uh, you know, the, a kid who... Like the village of the damn shit where they're like... Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. But like, I mean, just in life, you know, children not knowing like, you know, that, that they're gonna... The implications of... Throw something at the house and they don't realize that it's gonna break the window. <laughs> you know, like the the what the cause and effect is. Yeah. I feel like they... Yes, the girls in this movie wanted to have revenge on these people that were wronging them. But I don't think they knew – like I don't think they really knew that her hair was going to fall out or, like yeah, that. Or or maybe they – that's what they did, but they didn't realize – It was going to be – The up. horror of yeah, what yeah. that really would be. You know, it was kind of there, – there's a certain innocence to the beginning of the movie, to their playing around with witchcraft. Yeah. In that the way kids and teenagers experiment with anything. Yeah, drugs you know, or sex or – you know, or just whatever. You know, there's it's an experimental time, and this is the thing that they're experimenting with, and they they don't fully understand it. And even though they may have the intent 
of of having her hair fall out. Like I said, they don't intellectually understand what that means and how horrific it's actually going to be. Yeah. Uh, I think all of that's handled really well within the movie. Because yeah. It very, you know, it makes them relatable because, like, you know, she, she's calling the, the one of our main characters, you know, the N-word, yeah. basically. A Negroid or something. <laughs> yeah. A 90s variation on it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, yes, as an audience, we hate her. And, like, we want her to have her come up in. But then the, her comeuppance is horrifying. Um, and as an audience, then even us, we're all like, yeah. And then there's that element, like, we too were, were uh, irresponsible as a viewer, <laughs> yeah. you know, wanting it to happen and not realizing what that what the implications would ultimately be. I think all that stuff is, is very... Uh, it's well done, you know. It's what's the a big strength of the movie? I wouldn't necessarily would call it realism or authenticity of teenage life, but in a way, it is kind of that. You know what the, you know, it, it's it's a it's a stylized Hollywood version of it. Yeah. But there are things about it that you can look at. I'm I'm sure as a teenager when you watch it and identify with, and then as an adult looking back at your teenage years. And identify with it. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's a it's a I mean it's a pretty well made movie for the kind of movie that it is. Yeah, uh, and it moves pretty quickly as well. Um, even when Skeet died, I didn't realize. I thought he was going to show up in the next scene, paralyzed or something. <laughs> and then I, I said to you, "Is he dead?" Well, You're like, yeah. <laughs> in a wheelchair. Yeah, I thought that was going to you know the, the implications of oh my gosh, you know, look what you've done. You know, I didn't realize he's actually dead. Like you know, dead dead. Uh, you know, so. You, it, it starts to almost go out of control. Uh, for me, the, the, their turns, when they kind of turn on her, the lead, uh, Robin's character, um, it, it, it was quick for me, you know? I mean, that they're suddenly Nev and, and the other girl are kind of like, you know, on a, on a turn of a dime, they're against her, you know, uh, Bulk's able to quickly... You know, get them yeah. under her power, but I mean, it's maybe just because of the impetus of the movie. We have the yeah, movie going. You know, you know, there's that. You know, it's an hour and a half movie or yeah. whatever, but it's also the whether it's tr- whether it's reality or not. It's the. I mean, we later see it in a movie like Mean Girls. Yeah, with uh, Lindsay Lohan and Lacey Chabert from yeah. <laughs> from, yeah. from Party of Five, and this certainly has elements of a Heather's too. This movie here, yeah, you know, but this this idea of you know the the lead girl, and then the two girls that are the followers. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I agree. It's very quick, almost so quick that it's unbelievable, but not But so that's why. Qu- I, but I, not so quick that you can't, you know, dust it under the rug. Or, and, or expect. And, you know, and, and, and just, you know, suspend your disbelief and go with it. I wonder if back then it was a little more passable as now we're looking at it because we haven't, it hasn't, you know, we haven't aged with it, you know, Uh and it's certainly you have to have someone like Feruza in it to be able to yeah. to have you know her almost being like kind of a sociopath. You know, you see her upbringing. I mean, she ends up killing her her stepfather, her mother's boyfriend in it, who's from the Breakfast Club. He plays the janitor yeah. in the Breakfast Club, and um, you know, shit's like you realize quickly that that she's into this kind of a thing, and she likes to. Well, you know, she gets power hungry pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, and then I mean, she's definitely the 
She's the one pushing to do she's this. She's definitely you know? the. She's definitely Peter Parker, wrestling and trying to become a television star, before the tragic Spider-Man, accident yeah. <laughs> when he has to learn his <laughs> lesson. People get that, yeah. <laughs> You know, a lot of these movies are that. You know, I remember when I did uh, Teen Wolf with Patrick Bromley. Going out to play Teen Wolf. (laughs) Coming out Uh, to play. As kind of a a side cast uh, for Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You know, we're talking about this idea of, and he was kind of making fun of Teen Wolf in that, you know, it's using the werewolf as, you know, a, a metaphor for puberty, but he doesn't necessarily... You know, like learn any, you know, the Michael J. Fox Michael character. J. Fox. He doesn't have really learn a lesson. I was like, he does learn a lesson. I mean, you think about like, it this Patrick way. Patrick Bromley didn't learn a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think about Teen Wolf. It's you know, he uses oddly enough. It's about using your power to become popular. Mm. He becomes a werewolf and becomes the popular kid yeah. in school because he's a werewolf. His lesson is that he has to learn that not that Scott being Scott. Is just is enough, you yeah. know. It's okay to just be him, but it's this idea of like, you know, if Spider Man wasn't a comic, or if Spider Man's Uncle Ben didn't die, spoiler, that's the way he would be. He'd turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, he would he would learn, you know, he would abuse the power to become po- to become popular because that's what's important to you as a teenager. Yeah, and I, in in a sense, like, you know, it, so in a sense. It is like a, a superhero, a superpower movie, just like this is. I mean, this is they—they they have powers. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you could definitely, with the influx of superhero movies and comic movies, you could certainly relate this to that to those kinds of stories because they are basically like normal girls that are have suddenly having p- power thrust upon them. Yeah, and it's about how they react and how you know one is strong enough or uh raised well enough or whatever for whatever reason knows the knows that How they, sh- they shouldn't it, yeah. cross certain limits and is weary of it and then there's the one that grew up in a you know with nothing in a in a trailer, in a trailer park. park that is you know becomes very power hungry all yeah. the, you know because now finally she's been down these other girls they've all been downtrodden their entire lives in what appears to maybe be a wealthy part of town uh you know she's poor the one's black in a white school the one is is you know burned and feels insecure about that and all of a sudden all that is lifted away and so what is a teenager to do than to abuse that power yeah you know, because they haven't learned not to yet. Um, and there's also telltales of how they react after they have that big seance on the beach where they get the powers the next morning when you have Feruza walking on water like Jesus. And then when she gets off, they walk to the other side of the beach and you see all the... the uh, Dead sharks and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that washed up. I think some of them are taken aback where Feruza's just like, this is fucking great! You know, like, it's like she's completely like, oh, yeah, you know. this was a sign from whatever. Yeah, like, this is, you know, it's like, this is awesome where the other one's like, wait a minute, maybe we should pump a brace a little bit. The better. only thing I could think of in that scene, though, is because she touches the shark yeah. and then she pulls her hand away and it's bleeding. Yeah, yeah. And it's because, and all I can think about is when I was a kid and obsessed with sharks, yeah. that you learned that shark skin... Is such a way that if you rubbed your hand one way, it's smooth. But if yeah. you run your hand the other way, that it could cut you. And yeah. you would bleed. And I was like, <laughs> like oh, the wrong way. <laughs> Come on, what are you doing? I was like, that's real. That would really happen. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. 
Uh, I know that those special effects, they were fiberglass, but those things look great. They look like they just dragged some sharks out of the ocean, <laughs> some hammerheads. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who cares? It's the 90s. We don't care. It was the 70s. What they yeah, would have done. Exactly. It's like, who cares? What's animal rights? You um, know, interesting to have it on the beach is interesting because they took, you know, uh, I don't remember if it's the writer. I think it's the, the original writer. Um, what's his name? Sorry. Uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, Peter Filardi. Uh, Filardi. He talked about having that the big uh, – uh, it's not a seance, but the big uh, – Like incantation or, or kind of like uh, – uh, Yeah. We'll call it a seance. Yeah. The, the, big, the big spells. <laughs> they are too, conjuring. Yeah. Powers. Um, well, what's his face? Um, Menowa. Is, that a, is he even a real – I is would it, imagine it must be. This is when we should have done our research on paganism in the Wiccan, Wiccans. Um, um Ceremony, yeah, ceremony. That go. he said it on the beach because it's where three out of the four elements meet, which is wind, water, and, and earth. And all fire, meet, no, all yeah. meet. But they bring fire. Yeah, you know, they light a fire. You know, people often do that. And then we'll we'll let to believe that they also then sacrifice the animals they brought with them because, like, you know, the black girl brings the fish. She yeah. represents water. The snake, I guess, is earth. And no, is it no? Fire. She, she Feruza brings the brings the snake. You know, but I, I, it, and then the one brings the wind brings the the bird. And are we led to believe that they? I didn't. I was looking for the scene where you're going to see like them pick him up like a chicken, and then you see on yeah. the bottom the blood dropping. I must just. I think it's know, just implied that they because then everything. Is there a deleted scene or did it happen in the movie where you see everything blow up like the like the the cage blows up and the? the I feel the, like. I forget that the next a, morning you maybe see the remnants of you know, like the bag. I feel like they shot it though. You see like everything blow up in the scene that maybe was in a deleted scene or whatever. But it's like, see, it's like that. The implied like you're giving gifts or offerings sure. or whatever, you know. Uh, and that's always seems, you know, uh, ignorance is bliss here. But it seems like in that kind of uh, certainly when you're going for like a m- little more of the darker. <laughs> Aspects of these religions or whatever that you need, you know, they, you're 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 offering some sort of sacrifice, be it whatever it is, to to in, to get something in return. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's 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 once, and then I like the idea they go to the magic shop, and instead of it's not like you know it's like Pee Wee, you know, like, ah! <laughs> you know, like he's there like getting his bow ties, ah! you know. Um, you have that woman there who very much, you know, she's got an accent and it's very Suspiria. And, you know, I was going to ask you, did you notice any shades of Suspiria at the very beginning when they get out of the they get out of the airport, they get into the taxi cab and it's raining. And then, they, you know, the taxi cab's driving to their house and they cut to the shot of her in the taxi cab looking around. I got, oh, yeah. I, I, got, shades, is, I yeah. got shades of Suspiria. Maybe they were making a nod to Suspiria. Because, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I mean, that's a movie about witches. That witches. <laughs> so I, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. But I think you were in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were draining the vein. That's okay. Before you get, get going. I, I know. Just, I had to rewind it. Pause it. Um... But uh, I loved all that. Them going to the magic shop, or the you know, and then looking at the different stuff there, and then the woman there trying to explain stuff, and then like you're saying, the young people think they know it all. Like we know what we're doing. Yeah, just yeah. sell us the stuff, and then like you know, of course shit goes south. And then I was almost waiting too that when she went back to for help, um, Robin Tony, that that the other one was gonna like you know, they could have went anyway. It could have turned yeah. into a porno, or could have turned into <laughs> <where> she. <laughs> Or it could have turned into she's really evil herself, taking her back to yeah. recruit her into some evil thing. You know, I mean, you know how my mind works. Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of, or they go meet the old woman that you know from um, 
thinner, you know, like in the back room, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so uh, it, it was it was exciting. And, then the, you know, it's funny because they shoot this in L.A., but a lot of it is unfamiliar. You don't really get the impression. Yeah. Like that one scene where they go to it looks like it's the it's the same park that the Lost Boys, you know, like they're going to see them go by. Remember, the, you know, they have like yeah. the backseat of the car yeah, and there's yeah. a fire. And then you see like I didn't even notice. But in the background, because we were, you know, we were the, the copy we were watching way in the distance. There's another bonfire and there's people there. So is it like is that this? I think it's like a homeless. Oh, I was thinking maybe it's like you know, you're eating worms. Michael, <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> happening over there, you know. And when they're walking around on the street and they run into that guy, and the guy says, well, that, that reminds me of the end of Lethal Weapon where Ben and Danny Glover's <laughs> oh, in the bus, <laughs> and it comes out, not Joshua, and he shoots the guy. I got you. That's Diplomatic that, immunity, that, that's that street, <laughs> just, just been revoked. That's Lethal Weapon. I too. like, uh. What do you think that guy means? He shows up and he's like, uh, you're in my dreams. And, uh, he reminds me of, uh, what's that, was that creep show too? Thanks for the ride, lady. You know, like well, the, there's, you know. Because then he gets hit. There's never a payoff of what he's trying to imply. He shows up with snakes outside the house and then he just runs away. The father's like, what are you doing here? And, he's like, <laughs> and he runs and then he's trying to do well, a skid row. There's, I don't know. I could relate it to Prince of Darkness. The, mm. uh, the John Carpenter movie, which the homeless play a big part in, and that the idea there is that um, the mentally ill are uh, susceptible. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. To you know, being you know having being aware of certain things that the rest of us. So it was like that Bird Box movie are. now that just came out. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Forget it. Yeah, never mind that. Um, so I mean, I, I would. They could go with that. You know, there's the uh, you know the rule that Howard Ender's our old writing teacher that the homeless guy is always like the voice, fuck you. The they wisdom, say who I am. Yeah. You know, he's the he's always like the voice, the sage. You know, in the in the movie. I mean, he's they're the ones that can see what's going on because yeah. they got. You could argue that they that they're not preoccupied with. You know, shit. Or, you know, like a job or social life. You know, they're yeah. watching what's going on. I you mean, you get that with Tom Waits. He has a cameo in Fisher King, where they walk into Grand Central and Jeff Bridges before they have that whole wall sequence. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges has this. And Waits plays like a legless vet, and he's talking about society, red light, green light. I forget what his speech is, but he just talks about it. So it's it's always like you seem like. The, the homeless people sometimes, to a certain extent, in some of these movies uh, have these prophetic things. They say, like, yeah, the, yeah. the woman in uh, Home Alone Two, you know, Lost in New York, where she starts saying, you know, she brings him to Carnegie Hall to hear, you know, the, the, the you know, so. But in the case of something like Prince of Darkness, like the idea is that many homeless people are, suffer from mental illness, and that's why they can't, uh, you know, assimilate into society so well, and that they're because their brains work differently than our brains do. The, the, like in Prince of Darkness, they're, they're being controlled by the green goop in, in, in the jar. Well, it sounds outside. like whoever wrote Bird Box is a fan <laughs> of Prince of Darkness. Uh, and uh, in this, that could be that. I mean, I like that it's shot in L.A., and I love that it's not familiar L.A. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I was going with it, that, that they're not shooting in Griffith Park or Griffith Observatory, that kind of a thing. Um, Andrew Fleming says he chose... L.A. because one, he lived there, but two, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, they made it in the mid nineties, which is before like the Silver Lake area became gentrified. So, you know, throughout the, into, starting in the seventies, 
the Silver Lake area was kind of a, a big uh, place for the gay leather culture scene, mm-hmm. which we talk about in uh, our cruising episode. Yes. In, but the New York uh, division of, it, of the, yeah. <laughs> the New York branch. Yeah. <laughs> we should, you should listen to that episode because we cosplayed in that episode. <laughs> Uh, and th- that L.A. is full of homeless people, you know, and they have a, v- a very, you know, e- probably even worse uh, problem with it. And, you know, not that the people themselves are a problem, but that they're, you know, people are, are more have hard up. There's a lot of there's a lot of homeless, probably even more than here in yeah. New York. Uh, and also the idea that when you're in L.A., it, there is this weird you know, much more than, you know, uh, a much more urban feeling city like New York or Boston or uh, probably Chicago, I would suspect, is that, you know, you are in this city, everything, but everything's kind of spread out. But it is like this, all this concrete, all this like man-made stuff, but it, it does feel more like nature there than it does here. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting aspect of it. I mean, you even take a movie like, um, uh, what's the movie with the Michael Mann movie with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx? Collateral. Whereas, like, there's even shots of, like, the coyotes crossing the street in, yeah. in the city. You know, there's, like, there's this certain weird equilibrium that nature has in L.A. that yeah. is not replicated in a, in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of other cities yeah. you know there's you know there's deer there's a lot of skunks yeah um you know there's a lot of much more greenery i mean a lot of it's palm trees but i, I think it's very interesting to put a story about what i would perceive you know wiccan culture to be about nature that they're conjuring up the elements in nature to put it in a city that no matter how much cement and concrete man lays down on it, somehow nature always manages to kind of peek through yeah, and, and survive nonetheless. Yeah. It's always it's always a fight that nature's going to win. Uh, if we've seen any So it's an interesting – but even when you watch it, you're not sure that it's, it's L.A., but yeah. it definitely feels West Coast. Yeah. I, it, yeah, I, I think – they they do a good enough job where it doesn't really look like L.A., but then you do kind of feel that it's someplace out west. They're doing all this crazy stuff out west. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, let's see. And then so uh, then there was a big issue, I guess, in post-production of getting this. Uh, uh, it was rated R, and they feel like that helped it eventually, uh, but then it should have been a PG-13 but then the MPAA board was like, you know, kind of like the material on it is kind of, you know. Well, that's the idea of having, they were saying having the Satan worship with child, with teenagers, with children. And they're saying, but it's not Satan. Yeah. And they, but they, they didn't feel like care. there's like a glorification of it. You know, ultimately, you know, the, the, the fear is that their target demographic won't be able to get into the movies to see it. Yeah. Um, what's the studio's fear? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's the studio's fear. But it ends up, I think, helping it because then they think Because of, then it feels like forbidden fruit. Yeah, a oh, bit. it's R. Maybe feels, there's going to be nudity or there's going to be something, you know. Where it does kind of become a problem, though, is on the creative end because you're, you curb certain aspects of the filmmaking process, whether it's on purpose. in the script or in the cutting room, to try to 
get that PG or PG-13 rating. Yeah. And then when it still gets an R. We could have did so much more here. You know, and had it been in editing, then they could have just added stuff back in and then resubmitted it yeah. and got a, a harder R. But if they purposely were writing it to be PG-13 and were cutting things out of drafts of the script that they never shot because they were afraid it was going to be too dark or too, you know, or whatever, then that becomes a little bit frustrating, I would imagine. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, we had this great scene, but it was a little too fucked up for a PG-13 movie. But it, now where it's an R anyway, we could have got, we could have put it in here. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess in the long run it ended up helping it, but, uh, I, I could see at the time it was kind of uh, irritating. To well, them. I can imagine yeah. that for the filmmakers, it's frustrating yeah. because going into it, there is that fear. So I mean, there's the, like you want to make as much money as you can. Yeah, and if you're going to exclude the people you're <laughs> gearing this movie towards, it's you know, you don't know you don't know that that's going to be a, a positive in the long run. You're just worried that it's going to be a big detriment to to the box office. Yeah. And I guess it opened at number one, but uh, it didn't. It was a sleeper hit. It yeah, it didn't have a huge uh, weekend box either. office uh, run. I mean, it ends up making a crap load of money too. It it it, it was only filmed, you know, relatively fifteen million dollar budget. It grosses uh, over fifty five million, you know. And then that's where they, they were. There was going to be a direct DVD sequel that didn't pan out, and then I'm surprised it didn't get anything. And then they said there was even going to be a TV show. They they wrote a pilot, I think. And they were going to attach the Smith song to it, have it be the theme, and then they submitted it to the company, or the, the 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 studio. The studio passed on it, and then like a year or two later, Charm comes out, which is kind of almost the exact same thing in a yeah. way. You know, just I always wonder know. what it is with threes. I mean, here it's four, yeah. but it's initially you know it's a group of three. Like yeah, you got Charmed is three. Hocus Pocus was three. Well, it's a very you know, popular number within Macbeth is three. 13, three, you know, that kind of, it's kind of mystical kind of. 313, my birthday, baby. <laughs> mystical. Um, uh, it ends up doing quite well and it holds, a, you know, it, it then secures itself in this, This it becomes a like a female horror movie. It becomes the Suspiria. I don't know what the equivalent mm, to is. It's not so much a horror movie, you know, when you watch it, but. I mean, it's certainly dealing with the supernatural and darker side of it. So, I mean, I guess it's more a horror movie than like it is not a horror movie. movie yeah. But it's, not, it's certainly not a horror movie in the traditional sense of a horror movie. Yeah. But Which I think is a strength to, yeah. to it and that it is unique. Uh, and it's probably one of the reasons why, you know, it's... A horror can have a, a large, you know, umbrella, you know, it could touch a lot of different things. Yeah. So. But I, at the same time, I can't really think of any other horror movies that are quite like this one, which is, like I said, a strength yeah, for, yeah. for this movie. And it maybe helps the longevity of it, you know. Uh, and I think it's just a credit to, like, the, the even though the script does seem like it's it's moving really fast and stuff, I think the people who are involved in it, and especially the actors, are phenomenal, and that really gets you to believe and set yourself into it to, to, to you really feel like you're a part of it, you know. Um, yeah, it was just it was fun all around. I think we had a good time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those movies that eventually, as we kind of implied a few times, um, found a really big audience in home video. Yeah, you know, you were saying that you knew had friends that owned copy that were girls that owned copy of it. You know, the site apparently it was a whether or not it was one of the first movies on DVD. It certainly was. Ooh, yeah, it was a one huge of the, success. Sure, in DVD. Um, there just recently was uh, Scream Factory put out a 
a remastered Blu-ray of it. Yeah. Um, With special and, features and stuff. And now they're talking about remaking it. So craft is the craft is still alive. <laughs> yeah, it's crafty. You know. It, it, yeah, and it was it was. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad it was a good. Yeah. And ended up being a good choice, and uh, you know. Uh, one for the ladies, but uh, hopefully, you know, it, it was... And one for that 14-year-old girl in my heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. The little girl inside me that he loves things like 21 Jump Street, 90210. Yes, and set it, bring it on and set it on and, fire. And bring it on, whatever, yeah. Not set it on fire. Well, Light it up. Well, fire, fire it up is actually about guys. But uh, they go. There are football players that go to a. Uh, they become cheerleaders because they want to get laid. Yeah. So oh it's, yeah. It's one of those kinds. Sounds, of movies. sounds right up your alley. But it's funny. Yeah. Uh, this was fun. So and then you know, uh, enjoyable. Let's close that chapter of 1996. Yeah. Yeah. Until until next time we meet. <laughs> lest we meet again, 1996. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of stuff going on, as we always say. We're almost in the summertime months. In some ways, we did two for the ladies. Yeah, because well, of Scream last week. Because we talked about Scream, I, f- I found that a lot of uh, female horror fans, were sc- Scream was very much the, yeah, oh, the yeah, gateway the, yeah. movie into the genre for them. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, you know, if you're going to touch 1996 like that, do two, two, <laughs> do these two. It's a hell of a 1996 double feature. Yeah, and we're, we're you know we're heading into the spring and summer months, so we're gonna have a great uh, year coming up. Uh, I think we have a surprise next time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, one that nobody. No, not even me. Not even Dion would guess. Yeah, we got that coming out next week. Uh, and hell, what what do we got? We got you can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on Instagram. You can check us out on. Uh, Twitter. Uh, we've got a regular site you can hit us up on. Uh, I've got my book, Blood in the Streets. That's available on um, uh, paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon or wherever you buy books. If you like detective, uh, historical fiction, thrillers, go check it out. Uh, we're on the CLNS Media Network. Check us out there and check out CLNS Media Network. Uh, they do a lot of good stuff. We've partnered up with them. Uh, and Blake's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers is the book uh, available uh, in many book retailers or for me directly at scoredtodeath.com. Uh, Score to Death, the podcast, is the podcast inspired by the book. Um, there's a bunch of episodes there. Uh, and I'm also doing, and you know what? 21 Pod Street. Yeah, check that, why Check not? out some of the back episodes of that. Maybe that'll come back at some point. And, uh, of course, c- Cuts from the Crypt on the Damn Fine Network, where I get to play horror movie music. Maybe in the future I'll play some... Of oh, the craft Some stuff. Graham Revel uh, or some of the soundtrack from here. Maybe you do like a little 90s retrospective of <laughs> soundtracks. I'll do a little dissertation on that. The next episode's already edited, but maybe the episode after that will be my 90s... Soundtrack retrospective, and uh, you we'll know, see. no promise. <laughs> <laughs> you have to just you have to just tune in and see. And uh, if you can't uh, get enough of us, we'll be back in another two weeks with an all new episode with a surprise like Blake Tees that uh, that even I can figure out what it's going to be. Keeping it a secret, yeah. I'm just going to bring the tape over. Exactly, and he's going to put it in, and he's going to close my eyes <laughs> so I don't see it until it starts. So uh, it's going to be very exciting and uh, no prep involved. So uh, we'll see you very soon. Later. Later.